years i keep forgetting 13 years this is the day avatar the way of water comes out uh marry the way of water everyone (laughs) and with us we've got the biggest avatar defender i know since well until (laughs) this like big resurgence of avatar like just came back in the last four months um but more importantly i I get introduced to yes this time even though mark i usually do but i mean you just just know more people but go well, 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 in this case, though, it is my former co-host of my first ever podcast, Tyler Borland. Uh, Tyler, Woo! it's Woo! great to be recording with you again for yeah. the first time since, uh, what, July, I think? Yeah. July? I'm, I'm thinking back to when Thor 4 came out. Thor was mid-July. It Thor was, was mid-July. July. I just don't know if we... Yeah. Uh, we might have yeah. recorded in August, but it doesn't matter. You know, like, late summer. Yeah. So it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, it has. Yeah, it's good to be on. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to talk about the movie we've not introduced yet, so uh, I don't want to give give away anything. Oh, don't it's going title, to be but... an, it's going to be an incredible time. That's right. We're oh my talking gosh. about um, Avatar: The Way of Water. No. Yeah, <laughs> it will be. It we will all went to preview screening. <laughs> I wish I went to a preview screening for that. My goodness. Oh, I have a rant. I don't think you're the... Are you... Is... Are you really the biggest Avatar defender that we're going to have on? Because I feel like everyone... Everyone who comes on here no. seems to be an Avatar defender. The only reason I'm... And no one has seen Turning Red. <laughs> we, we know we've seen Turning Red. We, we, we recorded an episode about Turning Red with for the other show. Um, well... But... Well, yeah, thank God. What I was saying was, I remember back, like, say, when we were doing, I think even, like, the, Sh- the Shang-Chi episode or something, I brought up Avatar coming. No, I think it was even, like, during the Doctor Strange. I think it was Doctor Strange, because that's when the Avatar trailer dropped. And uh, you were like, oh, yeah, I've always loved Avatar. Avatar's great. And I feel like Avatar is this thing where, you know, people obviously liked it when it came out because it made so much money. But then two years or so, it was, like, cool not to like it. And then now it's back to being cool to like it again, conveniently just in time for the sequel to drop. But right. the point is, Tyler has always been pro-Avatar as long as I've known. I don't think he ever switched to the not nah, sucks train, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> so. the, the only criticism I think that I've ever had with it, and my wife is quick to uh, try to like to attempt to shut me up, is that I just say that I love... Like, I'll say, oh, I love Avatar. And then my wife will be like, oh, yeah, it's such a great movie. And I'm like, I know Pocahontas is such a strong story. And that's, like, the the only thing, like, the correlation. <laughs> I would probably shut you up, too. I probably, <laughs> I'm not going to do it right now. I would probably uh, shut you up, too. But no. Um, so what do, you, what do you like about Avatar? Because I feel, I mean, not that there isn't stuff to like about Avatar, but it seems like that is a major hurdle for most people is, like, it is Pocahontas. So, like, how did you get past that? It's it, not. <laughs> it is. It is um, in the in the same basic way that Spider-Man: Far From Home, not elevating it to anything, but Spider-Man: Far From Home is very much like The Incredibles um, with different beats. Um, but 
Yeah, it's. I mean, they share scripts. I mean, it's it's kind of like that uh, Shakespeare thing where it's uh, it like there is no true like original stories anymore. Um, yeah, it's. I've always been a big like sci-fi fan, and so sci-fi a lot more like when I'm growing up, it was a lot more sci-fi action like what Avatar is. Um, I've always thought that space travel was really, really cool. And, um, and I think like Avatar hits those beats all really well with the, uh, just the wonder of like, what worlds would we find if we would go out and journey while also telling, putting a spin on a very familiar story, you know, that I think to me the key difference between Avatar and Pocahontas and I don't know if I've said this on this podcast before but the big thing about Pocahontas Dances with Wolf all the things that Avatar is compared to is that those stories are said in the past and when you watch Avatar today you can't help but think about like oh this is like about the pipeline stuff this is about how we very much disrespect indigenous lands and it's 100% in today and it's about like we need to take action now so we don't ruin it and it's like that to me is like the key difference between Pocahontas Although it'd be really funny, not gonna lie, if Avatar 2, the plot was like, you know, the plot is so under wraps, it comes it comes out at the time it's recording two weeks from now, and I still think none of us really know what it's about, and it's three hours long, and we don't even know what it's about. Um, which, to be fair, the marketing point of Return to Pandora is good enough for me, because it looks gorgeous, it looks like a massive step up from the original, even though the original, like, still looks fantastic for today. Um... But imagine if it is just like the Pocahontas 2 direct to video plotline and the entire movie really takes place on Earth and it's just about Navi visiting her. Oh. <laughs> oh my. Uh, so I can't believe uh, we didn't make the joke Avatar the Day of Water instead of just saying it's a way of water day. <laughs> I feel like that'll be like the box office reporting title for the weekend. We don't have to do it. They'll, they'll do it for us. Yeah. That's, um, day of water as Avatar passes 300 million in first half day of opening. That'd be pretty exciting. I mean, it probably what will. A great, it's what a great joke, water. everyone. Everyone had to like think about that. Yeah. And they're like, all right. Yeah, well, okay. I, get too, I get too semantic about fake box office numbers. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Yesterday I was at a friend. No, yeah, this weekend I was at a friend's house because my play was this weekend, and I stood stayed with the director, and we watched Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa one night, which is this really bad Christmas movie. And the thing was, is like even with bad movies, I like have to like I like I want to watch them and like really be like this is this is what I'm watching. And then it's like these people are there talking during it. They're like expecting me to talk, and I'm like, no, shut up! I'm watching the movie. You know, it's like you know, even though we're we're watching it to make fun of it, then I'm like, we're, we're making fun of it. We're not gonna like this show. This show we're allowed to go on side tangents. So when I'm watching Rhapsody Street Kids or like any bad movie, you better not talk during it. This is I don't know what made me pop this in my fucking <laughs> what Mark said that triggered this for me, but it's very much like one of those things where it's like I have to do it this way. Uh, I'm not sure what I said either because I made a joke about box office numbers. Well, no, because you said you impossible. said it made 300 million like the first hour. I'm like, well, that's impossible, so I'm not even gonna engage. That's kind of like what I mean. It's like I get very like strict about some things, and that's one of them. Is like, don't don't give me fake box office numbers that aren't plausible. 
much to explore about hyperbole, how far it can be stretched. Well, why don't you talk about what what do you, what have you been up to yeah. lately, Danny? Oh me? Oh, I thought we were gonna talk to as time. Well, just because you were just you know we were talk- we're on we're on your weekend. I wanna. Well, you know. I have a very quick side story, then I'll talk about my weekend, which is that Mark we, we were. This came up in my head like five minutes ago. I didn't want to interrupt. But we're like, oh, I wish we were at an advanced screening of Avatar The Way of Water. Which is, I'm really mad at the music box. Because the music box emailed me right before I went on the road for four hours. And I didn't notice it until, like, obviously four hours later on the road. That they're actually having a really big advanced screening on Wednesday of Babylon. Which I don't think looks good. But Damien Chazelle is going to be there. And I'm like, ooh, I'd love to meet Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle, uh, Tyler, if you don't know, that's the director of La La Land and Whiplash, and he's directing Babylon. And oh, okay. It's very weird he's visiting us. <laughs> it's extremely... I don't know why. It does not make huh. any sense to me, but, like, I I don't think Babylon looks good, but I like La La Land and Whiplash, so I would love to go to a Q&A with him. So that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, I want this, and I click it, and it's, like, major waitlist. I'm like, of course it's a major waitlist, because... Just, it's a dumb, they have a dumb policy. It's like, if you're a member, you get a plus one. If you're a dual member, you can bring up the four people. It's like, what? In what world does a plus three make any sense? Or Because I get a plus one, so you're not there alone. But if you're a dual member, that means you already have a person going with you. You don't need more tickets. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you don't need to. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, this weekend I went to um to Southern, well, more like middle Southern Indiana, to watch my play, Maria Kent and the Spirit of Adventure. And it felt good to watch a play I wrote be produced, even if it was produced just by a middle school. But you know what? The middle schoolers were good. There were good pirate fights. Um, and you know, it does feel genuinely special to be like, oh yeah, these kids, like 10 years from now, if they're still acting, they're going to be like, I remember my middle school play where I played a pirate or I played a cowboy or I... I, uh, I played Jeff Bridges, you know, like, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I haven't read this play, I, but all right, I, sure. Did, did you have this one in, uh, Big Money Shorts? No, this is a I, new play that I wrote over summer. I thought it was really good. And also, you know, you see it live, you know where really now you can cut things. Um, I remember getting a text the night before where it was like, Great news, I got the show down to under two hours. And I was like, well, that is great news, but I also don't think I gave you a show that's under two hours, so I'm curious how this is going to go. And sure enough, when I saw the show, a lot of it was rushed, lying, lying derivatively. Which makes sense, because these are kids. They're just trying to spurt their their lines out, but... A lot of Patty Chayefsky fans out there among Well, the to youth. be fair, it is written to be like... Not Patty Chayefsky, but um, overlapping dialogue, like very His Girl Friday type of thing is in my mind. That's how all my plays are kind of written, where it's like, I want the line to be directly picked up next. Because otherwise this show is going to, because my plays are always like 120 pages long. So I'm like, no, you got, there's got to be like absolutely no break in between lines. But you still got to deliver those lines right. You just got to react super quick. Otherwise this show is going to be too long. But no, it was really cool to see it live. It was cool to... Uh, my parents came in along with my brother. Uh, my brother gave a really great pop compliment afterwards. He was like, you know, Danny, the show was really great. It's just a shame about that script. Uh, <laughs> it's a good old-fashioned Lamau. brother, Joshin. But no, it was cool, you know? I haven't had a play produced on any level, so other than, like, my high school, not the high school, the college reading. And you know what? It is very different to go to um, 
a show where you know the people there are people that don't give a shit about the script. They're there to hear their see their kid perform. So if they laugh, you know it's also your writing. Also, one of the kids added this really great joke that I have to add to the script because it was really funny, and I was like, oh my gosh, I should have thought of that. So Does it translate over audio or is it just something that- Uh Well, Tyler doesn't really know the show, but in the show, okay, so there's a pirate in it named Carblui who starts as evil, but then kind of becomes, he's kind of, she's, they, but in this production, she uh, is kind of like Barbosa from Pirates of the Caribbean. So starts evil, then ends up being like, oh yeah, I guess I'll help you, Jack, type of thing. So at the end of the show, her first mate gets killed by the mermaid because she breaks the mermaid law. So then at the end, when everything's resolved, the Barbosa character is like, hey, can I have, can, can you bring her back to life? And the mermaid's like, no. But then the Jack Sparrow type comes over. He's like, well, I still have a bit of this healing chalice left. left. Do you want it? And in this, the, what I've written, it's like, oh yeah, she, like, thank you. And then she like gives it to her and that makes her first mate come back to life for the next scene. But <laughs> what the actor did in this was she goes, oh, thanks. And then just takes, tries to take a swing. Like, oh, never mind. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's a good bit. Good, because it's an idiot character. It very much is an idiot character. So the reaction to be like, "Oh, sweet, thanks." I, I didn't expect you to give me this trick. Is funny, uh, and very much fits in with the character. So I'm gonna add that to the play. Um, but yeah, it was cool. cool. Good performance. I'm, Good I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you got to see some middle schoolers perform your play because, like, that age group, they just bring such energy to yeah to the script um i directed a middle school midsummer night's dream one time that's a good one yeah and they oh my so like there's the forest scene where the two couples are like running throughout you know and then they eventually all meet in this area of the forest and like just the energy it was just it was going so so nice um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just glad that you, you know, you gotta, gotta see that. Cause that is something that's really cool. One thing about this show. And I think it's the reason I bring this up is cause I think I've been some night stream falls into this, um, is when I wrote it, I remembered that the director, the last thing I, cause the director is a friend of mine from high school and he will eventually come on this podcast. Um, but the director had told me the last show he did was high school musical at the high school. So that in my mind made me think, okay, I'm writing a play for high schoolers. So the play Mark's aware of this is very mature for a middle school play. And the reason I bring this up is because I think a Midsummer Night's Dream is not something you think of for middle schoolers either necessarily. Um, but the thing is about middle schoolers, and this is true of any young kid, is they want to do something beyond where they are. You know, mm-hmm. they want to do something older. So yeah. like the fact that the show had so many sword fights in it, it has a gun in it, which <laughs> I was sitting on the second show Really annoying loud people that wouldn't shut up during a middle school play, which is bizarre. But on that regard, when someone gets shot in the final scene, they just go, oh my god, he got shot? Like super loud and I just cannot stop stop laughing. <laughs> but it's also just like, that's another thing where it's like, I wrote this kind of because I know, I hate to say this, but I know in Indiana I can probably get away with this being a pirate play where there's actually guns on stage. <laughs> like, because that's what pirates are. Like, and there's only one gun. There's only, it's like, it's, it's very much like, I have one bullet. I wonder if we'll be shot by him in this play type of thing. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, that's what I was thinking when you said Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, that's another good show. Where it's like you wouldn't think middle schoolers would even really get it, but like you got to give them more credit than you know what kids yeah. will usually give them. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think never mind. I won't go down that tangent. I had this. I I put my life in a very simple term this week, and I was like, oh yeah, that that sums me up pretty well. Well, you gave us a little spoiler there, didn't? I mean, okay, not I a, guess I have a little to say, tease there. Okay, didn't it's you? just that, like, you know, people ask me, you know, like, well, Danny, what do you want to go to grad school for? I'm like, you know, it's really tough because I love, I I can't write a movie, but I love watching movies. Whereas I love writing plays, but I can't read a play. Like to me, mm. reading plays is so boring. <laughs> like watching a play is different. Like watch, but it's so hard to find. Like you can't just go to the play every week. Like, you can go to the movies every week. Yeah, Or, like, yeah. put a movie on at home. But I, reading a play to me is just so, like... I, I skim so much. But, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Because myself, and also apparently Toni Morrison, after reading the piano lesson, feel that it is often better to read a play. Because when you're acting, you're, like... You, you can be, like, let down by what was going on in your head. So it's neat to hear that you have the opposite thing. I've never heard anyone who's like have have that way of feeling about it. I don't know. It's well, I even, think it's just even a comparison among... point because people ask me like, "What should I continue with? Like with film studies, or should I continue with theater?" And it's like, I know, I know, it's tough because like obviously I like talking about. I don't have any podcasts where I talk about plays. I have two current podcasts, three counting our Marvel one where I did talk about movies. So, but yeah, but I've never like really like been like, let's do a play podcast. The only ever podcast idea I've had is like, let's do an Adam Driver podcast where I talk about Adam Driver movies. Like, you see what I like? They're always just talking about movies. I don't really have a desire to do something Unfortunately, there are no universities where you can major in the history of Adam Driver. So, you know, I did see though, Adam, I saw Adam Driver. (laughs) This was my final thing is I did see Adam Driver's new movie, White Noise, which I thought was really bad. It's going to be on Netflix soon. Um, It's what happens when you give the director of Marriage. Okay, it's not really bad. It's like a two out of five. But it's what happens when you give the director of Marriage Story $100 million to make his next movie, which is just very confusing in and of itself. (laughs) But in the movie, Adam Driver and Don Cheadle are in it. Adam Driver plays the leading expert, and I quote the film directly, he always refers to his job as this, Hitler studies. He only talks about Hitler. And meanwhile, Don Cheadle, and this is said in the 70s, this is said in the 70s, this is very important, Don Cheadle's like, I look at modern icons, like Elvis. I want to be the leading Elvis person. And it's like, if the, if Don Cheadle in this movie can be the Elvis studies guy in the 1970s, I can be the Adam Driver studies guy now. <laughs> Do it, man. Yeah. They make academic books about living people all the time. I could write on that. Come to the new school. Make your own course of study. As long as Adam Driver doesn't sign up for another franchise, I could write an Adam Driver book. But mm. he probably will sign up for another franchise sooner or later. So He's no fool. Yeah. Tyler, I really wanted to... There's no smooth transition to this, but I really wanted to ask... To hear more about what you've, you've been up to lately. Oh, yeah. So, uh... So yeah, I'm uh, currently, I'm like between a graduate program, I'm in a, I'm in a master's program, and then I'm also uh, waiting on my student teaching, because eventually I'll teach English um, at either middle school or high school age. Um, and in the meantime, I've been working on a uh, 
farm and it's uh i grew up you know raising livestock uh sheep cows horses i mean pretty much everything but llamas and pigs and i and i say that because there's like a big llama farm that i grew up grew up around actually which was very it's just an interesting fact to learn um but uh but yeah, so we we like uh, we grow bean, you know, soybeans, corn, um, wheat. They put uh, winter wheat out this year. Uh, I think pretty much everybody tried to get some winter wheat out. Um, so I've been learning a lot about uh, taking care of the soil, taking care of the uh, crops, you know, the plants, and all the various steps that's in with with that. And, uh, eventually, you know, someday I'll, uh, my wife and I, we want to own, you know, some ground, uh, maybe we'll build or we'll find ground that already has a house on it, you know, or renovate, but we, we want to raise our own animals. And then I would like to get to the point of being fully, uh, self-sustainable. And, uh, and so that would be knowing how to grow the, you know, I, I know how to raise, you know, certain animals, but then knowing or being able to grow their own food. So I'm not relying on an outside source, you know, for, for that food. Or if, if it's something like, uh, with pigs, pigs are just so demanding on the type of food that they get. Um, and so like, you've got to have soybeans and corn and then there's all these other various like little things that just kind of like you know you throw in the the food mix um if i'm if i'm not going to be able to fully make that animal's food then i would like to be able to make the majority of that and not have to always rely on an outside source you know and eventually uh like uh, my wife and i talk about like being eating what we raise, you know, eating the animals that we raise and then also eating, you know, food that we grow out in the garden and uh greenhouse and stuff. So that's, that's a dream. That's like, if I have like a one, five, 10 plan, like a, what am I doing in, in the first year? What's my goal for the first year? And then five years from now and then 10 years from now, that would definitely be something that's like 10 years from now at the, you know, earliest at all, if not, 15, but, uh, to eventually get there. But, but yeah, um, I do have, uh, so Danny and I, you know, we had a, had a Marvel podcast. Um, the other day, Danny, I thought about, or I watched, so I've been, uh, I borrowed my brother's HBO max account to watch my movie. And I just haven't, deleted the password or anything it's fine so i've just been watching it <laughs> and it turned out like i told him i was like hey i'm i've been watching westworld and he's like yeah it's fine you can like watch it and i'm like oh okay cool so uh so anyways the other day uh felicia and i were like hey let's watch a movie and she's like what do you want to watch and i was like well i don't know let's let's look through it she's like what type of movie you want to watch i was like action um so we went into that category on the app and uh, we saw 310 to Yuma on there. And I've seen that, though, like oh. 2007, 310 to Yuma, Russell Crowe and uh, Christian Bale. Uh, James Mangold directed J- that one Yes, too. yes. That's the film that I should have given you. I don't know if you've seen it, 
but that's the film. I'm not that would have been one. Of, yeah, that's, that that's what I should have given you for our uh, last green room instead of that documentary about Sasquatch, because that would have been real, like relative to Thor: Love and Thunder. And uh, yeah, and I probably I probably would have liked it because I usually like James Bond movies. It is so. it is really good. Like going back, and that's something with The Incredibles. Um, a note that I have on The Incredibles too is like I've been watching. Um, some films that I watched growing up that I liked growing up, but I liked them for various, re- you know, different reasons then as opposed to like now I watch it and it's like, oh my gosh, that, you know, there's this, 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 and this. Uh, kind of like, uh, Alien, you know, growing up, I was like, yeah, you were oh, texting about Alien, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, Alien is, is, uh, growing up, I was like, you know, sci fi and like, oh, it's just the plot is like, just this aliens going through and just taking everybody down and, you know, the sinister whaling corporation and whatnot. And our hero survives through everything. But like watching it now, I'm less on like hooked onto the story. Um, and it's more so like the visual effects for 1979. Nine. I, yeah, yeah. 79. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, my goodness, these, like, what visual effects can do and, you know, the imagination. Both, those, both the first two are so on the forefront of, like, visuals. Because Aliens also looks so good for, yeah, I think, 86. Yeah. I think that's 86. Maybe it's 86. I know, I know that it was, it was, it was long, long awaited, like, after, after the first movie. That's what Cameron does. Yeah. Terminator 2 also took, like, six years. <laughs> so... <laughs> So so yeah, um been been watching you know like uh some older films and then uh I do have a YouTube channel, uh CC Farms. I do you know farm gameplay. I've got ten episodes and I left it on a cliffhanger and uh I've gotta get back episode. Gotta get back to it. When was it? It was probably June. It was probably June or July. <laughs> yeah. It was like right before I started working at the farm. And so then it's I was an unofficial like, season finale. That's it's an un, it's a kinda, finale. Whenever you kinda. start it up again, you got to say season. You got to start with season two at the top, so people think it's on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe there needs to be like a teaser or something. <laughs> season two coming soon, <laughs> and they'll be like, "Oh, this makes sense." Yeah. I had this old this YouTube like- channel that I'm not going to say what it is, but because I don't want people looking at it. But I'd always post these trailers of things that I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely working on this. And <laughs> it would never come out. <laughs> you were really ahead of your time in that, in that way. It'd be really funny if I just got the password for that. I actually want to get that. I want to delete some of those. Um, but if I have the password to that, and so I was you, like, oh yeah, here it is. You don't, <laughs> have, finally here, you don't have the password? No, it was something I ran with like a friend in middle school. And so he had the password, and it's his email, so I can't oh, recover it. I'm like, so this there are, is there's some stuff on the side. Want to? I'm not like, telling you guys. I really this don't. Is, this some, is like no. when YouTube first was it yes, even a thing? Like probably. Holy crap! You're an OG YouTuber, like, Danny. The idea was is that we were going to adapt the Super Smash Brothers Brawl story mode into a musical. Um, oh and we yeah. Put out a trailer for it, which was just you know. Made in Windows Movie Maker with moving still images of the character models from Smash Brothers Brawl. At, at least they weren't like 
print it out and cut out and put on popsicle sticks. <laughs> and honestly, though, that around. might that would probably look a little more professional. <laughs> than the, the PowerPoint style. You're doing. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you should delete them though. No, That's there's other like stuff on the channel. A piece of history. There's a uh, there's mm. also on there if I remember right um, in middle school there's a bit of early cyberbullying from me in a very uh, in a very <laughs> 2009 way I suppose I presume it's 2009 oh. 2008 um, where there was a girl in newspaper with me when I was in seventh grade she was in eighth grade it's funny because we became friends later on in high school but we would always bring this up where she had like a column in the newspaper where she'd write about um, how much she liked Twilight. And, like, how Twilight was great. And so, of course, I was, like, naturally, as a seventh grade boy, I took the article, <laughs> recorded me going, Twilight, the best book ever! And did a dramatic reading, but I used it. <laughs> and she found it. And I got in big trouble about it. All right. <laughs> it was very much That's, a middle, very much a middle, much a middle school me. Very much a middle school boy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, she she kicked me in the the balls at school the next day, and the teacher's like, "Nah, you earned that." So, <laughs> wow, so, everyone everyone made the right choice all around there. Yeah. I'm surprised that they like they got yeah. you for that. <laughs> but stuff like that, where it's like, mm, I, I should just try to find a way to get that shut down, like for inactivity or something mm. like that. <laughs> That'd be so funny if people like the Jeopardy guy is like getting canceled and he's like, No, I don't have the password. You don't understand. I definitely didn't say these things. Just let me delete it. Uh, uh, Mark, I assume you don't have much going on because you kept asking us things. Well, no, I have some big news, which isn't really me news. But it is news in the world that I want to share for the... Because I, I don't know who our listeners are, but... I mean, I kind of do. All but nine of them. This is just... No, we big, have more than nine. Go on. <laughs> we have more than nine. We definitely have more than nine. Um, we only had nine people listen to some the of, very important canon episode about strippers. But whatever. Sorry, go on. Well, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think I think it's funny because we put the explicit button up. And it does, even though we have very few listeners right now, it does seem to make a, a dent. So that's kind of funny. But no, my news is not my news, but it's news of the world. I'm super hyped about the new sight and sound list of the greatest films of all time. And I'm sure some people know what's going on with that, but maybe some people don't. Um, sight and sound since 1952, which it's a, a British film magazine has done a giant critics and directors poll of what they think are the greatest films of all time. And it is the reason that Citizen Kane was considered... Sorry, sorry, go on, go on. (laughs) It is the reason for the season. (laughs) It's the reason for the season for me. (laughs) This This is... They release it so that you can do your Barnes & Noble Criterion flash sale shopping before Christmas. Um, But... So they've the film magazine has had this uh, poll for seventy years, and they do it every ten years. And for a long time, it was Citizen Kane on top, and then for ten years, it was Vertigo. Yeah, ten years and ago they now, gave it to Vertigo, and it was a big deal ten years ago. Go yeah, on, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but so this year, the it's probably been out for like two weeks when now, this episode comes out. Wait, wait, wait. But before before you say it, Tyler, once he says the title. 
I want you to immediately say how familiar you are with the film because I have a gut feeling. I know what you're gonna say, and it's if you say what I think you're gonna say, it is completely appropriate. Do not do not feel bad on any way about what Mark about this. So, so Mark, what is the film? <laughs> well, I I cannot. I usually can't pronounce the full title properly, so the abridged title of the now greatest film of all time is Jean Dielman. So title is that? What's your opinion? Exactly. What is that? It's very fair, though. It's very fair. Like, I don't think, I think most people, unless they are very into art house or European cinema, would not be aware of this film. Um, Because it is a, it's a French film, right? From like the 70s? Sounds yeah, French. I think it's from the seventies. Nineteen seventy-five. It's three and a half hours. Yeah, it's yeah, um, buddy. I'm actually really upset because um, it's the type of movie where I feel like I have to see it in a theater. But I actually want to give it my attention. Um, and they're screening it here, so I looked at when they're screening it, and they're screening it. I have a schedule. I have my schedule for winter break already. And one week I have really good hours, and the other week I have tougher ones. And it's screening the one the week of the tougher ones, so I can't go to it. So it's like ah. I would well, go. I would go watch this movie just to see what why people are talking about it. What's the deal? Oh, with... have you never seen it either? No, I haven't. But I know what it is. Oh I've my heard gosh! Of it before. Um, well, I, it's. I, I mean... hinted. I actually. Um, I have inside contacts, guys. I don't know if you know this. I have a, two insider contacts now in New York. Ooh, and one of them told me like an hour before it was announced what it was, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna tease this around to some people, and I was like. My hint is, it's hour. a movie that Todd Phillips... Well, it's more like three hours. But it's a movie that Todd Phillips cited as a influence on the Joker movie. <laughs> Which I ended up wow. being wrong about. He he was another Chantal Ackerman movie he was talking about, who's the director. But... Oh, wow. Um, but it's well, also I'm curious like, about whatever that was. Um, but yeah. Google Chantal Ackerman Joker and the article will come up, but it's really... It's dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. Like, um. You, yeah, well, but so I'm super hyped because not only do I really like this film, I don't know, it's not like, it's very interesting because I kind of agree with the sentiment of a lot of people who are kind of confused about why this is considered the greatest film of all time. And I think there are a number of reasons why now it is getting that, that the, the title of being the greatest film of all time. For a long time, the top 10 greatest films have kind of been a rotating list of similar ones. And Citizen Kane has just always been on the top. Uh, and and John Dealman was always the highest ranking film by a woman director. I feel and like that's really the big deal here to me. Is like finally one of these lists put like someone who's not just a dude on top, you know? <laughs> I say that yeah. on a podcast where three dudes are talking. But it's okay. <laughs> But. Well, yeah, but I mean, so the thing I think I think the thing was a lot of these votes are cast according to director. So people talk about these votes like, oh, what's your highest ranking Scorsese film going to be? What's your highest ranking uh, Hitchcock film going to be? And then it was always Vertigo and then uh, and Vertigo then got enough votes to like get to the top of the pack for whatever reason. And now it's the Chantal Ackerman film, John Dielman. But it's really interesting because in the whole list of 100 greatest films that they publish, it's such an outlier because it is, uh, it's weird to say that it's far more experimental than most things on the list, but it I really mean, is. Like, man, of, not the, the same level of experimental, but Man with a Movie Camera is in the top 10. 
And that was Bro, watch John Dealman. I know they're different. I know I what John Dealman is. I, I I have not seen it. I know what it is, okay? I, I know the, Tyler, I, I know this is like one of those conversations where it's like, okay. And that's but I know John Dealman. Well, I'm not I'm just I'm just like I'm genuinely super hyped about this and I think it's really positive that this film is getting attention and hopefully it draws more people to the list itself you know because also, a bunch of other films have like shot up. The I was going to say, like, "Do the Right Thing" finally made the list, which is insane that it has never made the list before. To me, yeah, there were a lot of amazing like first timers on the list. Um, Get Out is on the list. It's actually on the very bottom of the one hundred. Well, that that whole thing is controversial. Where it's but, like, how can you put such recent films in the top hundred? But that's a different conversation. I feel like that we don't need to get into. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm okay with Get Out being like a 99. But you know what I mean? Like it's more yeah, like, yeah. how does Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is a movie Tyler, if you're not aware of, that came out in 2019, it debuted at number 30 of all time, which is very stupid to me. Like you know, that's like weird. there's no reason any movie that is that new should be like this is the 30th greatest film of all time already, and it's like. I thought it was okay. But I think, I mean, I think it's, I mean, if we're not like holding to the sanctity of some made up list, I think this is fantastic. The list now is like, I, I think, I, I think it, I think like it got shook up in some really good ways. So like, it's going to draw people to films they've never really seen before. And I think that is the great benefit of this list is like, you know, I, I bet some, I have heard some people are going to see John Dealman and just hate it. And you know who wants it's it's like three hours of of watching a woman cook, and that's truly like the film. Tyler, I do not um, recommend this movie. But, to you. I do not. Oh, I I read <laughs> a uh, I read a Google review of someone who was not a fan, and uh, it does not. I, I don't think you would like it, which it, is fine. Like, I it's not a movie for everyone. So it kind of sounds like the premise of an HBO show. I I wonder if HBO has done anything with this, but. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I want. It's interesting to think about how influential it may or may not have been, but it's just nice that they're because Citizen Kane and Vertigo are like a lot of films on the list, and you can kind of see how they've influenced other things and stuff like that. So, hopefully, having John Dielman at the top, that it becomes like a new a new influence, and people develop new film language because of seeing this film um do you guys want to know that sort of thing the list that i made on letterboxd if i got to vote in the top the science because here's the key thing i did not make a top 10 i made a top 10 of movies that i think could potentially show up if that makes sense you know i'm not gonna throw in i'm not gonna throw in the lego movie because the lego movie is never gonna make this list right and i made this before the list came out too now I'm going to tell you really quick, and then I think we should move on. But I will say my number 11 that I was trying to get in, but I could not sacrifice any of these for it, was AI, the Spielberg movie. Tyler, I'm sorry. I still have not seen Minority Report. I still Damn. cannot find a non-full-screen copy of it for some reason. Everybody <laughs> runs. Crazy. Everybody runs. Everybody so runs. So my, uh, my 10 are All That Jazz, Bicycle Thieves, Boyhood, Cloud Atlas, do the right thing, Goodfellas, Nashville, Network, The Prestige, and The Truman Show. So that would be my sight and sound top ten. I feel like that's a fair list, and I feel like a lot of some of those films did make it onto the list, and it also seems like a pretty a pretty accurate be, guess 
based on how people vote. I was trying to be diverse in both people behind the camera, but more importantly in genre. Because I didn't want to just drop in like 10, you know, like 10 dramas, you know? No, I want to throw in some sci-fi in there. I want to throw in some comedy in there, you know, a musical. But yeah. All right. So Tyler, it's game time. Yeehaw. Yeah. All right. So the letterbox game. This is my game. The Letterbox game is letterboxed in the last six months. Is that a feature where it tells you what the most related films algorithmically to the film you just watched are? Okay. okay. The Letterbox game is I give you five movies, and then you have to guess what the movie, like what the film, these out this algorithm response comes to. If you okay. get two guesses. After the second guess, if you get it wrong, I give you the year the movie came out. After that, you get two additional guesses where I'll give you an additional movie with each wrong guess for a total of five guesses. If you don't get in five guesses, you don't get a point. Now, I'll do an example round because I always do this. And the example I'll give you is uh, The Incredibles because, obviously, we all watch The Incredibles. Yeah. So I'm not going to give you The Incredibles. So for The Incredibles, if that weirded around The Incredibles, the first five movies I'd give you would be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Megamind, Big Hero 6, the Lego Batman movie, the Lego movie. And if you didn't get it off of those, I'd tell you it's from 2004. And then the additional movies would be The Mitchells vs. the Machines and Toy Story. Now, you might have noticed I didn't say Incredibles 2. That's because I removed any film that's either by the same director or in the same franchise as the film that you're looking for. All right? Okay. So. Okay. I feel like I'm going to bomb can, this. Well, before we begin. People you can do ch- very well. Yeah, you can choose to compete with Mark, or you can use him as a phone and friend. So do you want to compete with Mark or use him as a helper? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, Mark, what would you want to do? Well, honestly, I think it's better when we do competitive. So maybe we should do competitive. Sure. But like, I don't worry. Say, you, you're not going to do as... You're going to do good. Yeah. I haven't know. said where I'm taking these movies from yet because I usually use something special for guests. So, but I think competitive, you'll, be, you'll have a bit of an advantage. So... Okay. Competitive? All right. Yeah. So, normally what I do is I have a list of the 10 movies I just saw, and that's what we picked from. However, Tyler and I had a podcast called Why is a Ty and Dan? So what I did was I went on Letterboxd, I added every single movie we covered on that show. Oh my. Removing the one, the green rooms that only I watched or only a guest watched. So these are all movies that you have watched that we talked about on Wise of Ty and Dan. And I organized it by popularity on Letterboxd. So we will start with the most popular movie on Letterboxd we covered ever on the podcast. The middle popularity film of ever we covered on the podcast. And then the least popular movie we ever covered on the podcast. Okay. So, are you ready for round one? This will be the most popular movie. Okay, yeah. All right, so your five films are Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Daredevil, The Amazing Spider-Man 1, and Spider-Man 2002. Is Spider-Man No Way Home? So I won't take that guess, because here's why. Okay. Because I don't know if I explained it well. 
Since I said Spider-Man movies, this yeah. is a movie that does not have Spider-Man in it. Okay, okay. Oh. No character from any of the movies I said can be in the movie I talked. To, I'm saying. My goodness. Now I'm trying to remember every film that we covered. Um, it's any film. This is not a hint, but this is any film. It does not need to be a main subject film. It can be a Green Room movie. It can be a movie that we just... Well, it's not going to be a movie we just mentioned in passing. But it could, could be like... It could hypothetically be a TV show. Actually, though, I will help you. None of these are TV shows. Not a single thing I'm going to give you is a normal okay, show. So Daredevil, so Daredevil was the Ben Affleck yes, movie. The, okay. the, I'm stumped. I'm, I'm going to guess Captain Marvel. Okay, Captain Marvel is your guess. Can you just throw out a guess, Tyler? Like, just think um, of a superhero. Because that's kind of what to tell you. It's a superhero. It's not going to be Spider-Man. It's not going to be Daredevil. It's not going to be Harley Quinn. Okay. Um, but you said Birds of Prey, which makes me think maybe Thor Ragnarok. All right. So your first guesses are Thor Ragnarok and uh, Mark, yours was um, Captain Marvel? Yes. So neither Thor Ragnarok or Captain Marvel are in the top 25. So now you guys get the year. That's two guesses. Um, don't worry. From now on, you'll only get one additional movie each, no matter what your guess is. Because that's how we do when we play competitive. I should have said that. But the year this movie came out is 2022. Oh, The Batman. Mark, do you have a guess? Mm, was it Wakanda Forever? Wakanda Forever is not in the top 25. However, it is The Batman. I removed... Oh, okay. Before I got to Spider-Man, I removed, in order... Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, Batman 1989, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, The Dark Knight Rises, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Batman Forever, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Batman Returns, Justice League, Suicide Squad, Batman Under the Red Hood. I had to remove 12 movies to get to those five. And if I went on, the next two films would have been Captain America Civil War and Jack Reacher. <laughs> and yes, before you ask, there are no characters in the Batman that are in Birds of Prey. There's okay. no overlap. I was thinking that is why Birds, Birds of, of Prey. Prey I was thinking Birds of Prey uh like stylistic. All right. So, time for your next round. Evolution 2001. Don't ask me what this movie is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Paul the Seth Rogen movie with Simon Pegg, where Seth Rogen is an alien. Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Galaxy Quest. And the Shane Black Predator movie from 2018. This is the middle most popular movie of anything we covered on the podcast that you watched. My gut wants to say Venom, Let There Be Carnage. But I have to imagine that's got to be lower on this list. I'm well, gonna... to be clear, to be clear, yeah. popularity means views. It does not mean quality. Oh. It means views. So then Mother Be Carnage could be up there quite a bit. <laughs> it could, because it's recent. You know, like that's because the, if the Batman is the most watched movie of anything we watch on the podcast, that means, you know, it's a little biased towards recent stuff. Okay. I'm not saying it is, but I'm Mother Be Carnage. But I'm just saying that. You got to think views, not necessarily quality. Okay. But otherwise, you know, the the, the next round is just going to be the Tomorrow War. It could still be the Tomorrow War. Oh, my war, gosh. But if we're talking about World oh War, it's going to be the Tomorrow 
Uh, well, is this Thor Ragnarok? Okay, I need That's to guess not from a good Tyler. guess, but I'm just. I'm gonna go with Let There Be Carnage. Putting something out there. It is neither Venom Let There Be Carnage nor Thor Ragnarok. Neither of those are in the top twenty-five. The year this film came out is 1997. Oh. Men in Black. Titanic. So Men in Black and Titanic are your guesses. Yeah. Titanic is not in the top 25, but Men in Black is the film. Yeah. I, of course, had to remove the other three Men in Black movies. Men in Black. Weirdly ordered Men in Black 2, Men in Black International, and then Men in Black 3. (laughs) So. (laughs) I get why Men in Black 2 is second, but it's like... Why is there an national? <laughs> I guess because it's a reboot. I guess that kind of makes sense because it's a reboot. Yeah. So, but it's kind of weird. Um, all right. Are you guys ready for your final round? I will give market warning on this. I do not think you have any chance of getting this <laughs> one. <laughs> That's okay. What all did right. I tell you? See, if we play competitive, it's, it's you You get the feel-good boost of just wrecking me. <laughs> I'm, I'm normally bad at this game. I'm glad to help out. All right. Let me just check the director of this really quick. Okay. Cool. All right. The final round. This is the least popular film we ever covered on Wise with Ty and Dan. That, well, first off, little qualifier that I never said, but it's just probably not a big qualifier. Some really unpopular movies, like, say, The Minimalist movie, they do not have this feature set up for it because not enough people have watched it. Like, you know, the oh, Minimalist documentary? Yeah. Or like Sasquatch. Yeah. Like those films do not have this setup. But this is the least popular film we've ever talked about on Wise with Ty and Dan. So the five films are Grown Ups 2, Step Brothers, Neighbors, Girls Trip, and a film from 2018 titled Father of the Year that I've never heard of. <laughs> I don't remember. It's Netflix original with David Spade. That checks out. <laughs> That's what Father of the Year is. <laughs> is, I'm thinking this is that film with, uh, am I, am I allowed to look up if I, if I'm thinking of the film, but I don't know the name, am I allowed to do that? I will, or... I, I will let you look up because this is the most obscure film on it. So if you want to look up the name of the film, if you know the actor. Because I'm, it's Josh, Ju- I've got Josh Duhamel in it. And this is the one that I was like, oh, I'm going to connect everything. And I watched Transformers, and then I watched this one, and I was like, what the heck? Mark, do you want to throw out a dumb guess? Because you have no idea. There's no way you're going to yeah, get this. Yeah, is it Three Kings? That one where they're in the desert? Oh, my God. I'm sure one of them was a dad. It's not Three Kings. <laughs> it's not Three Kings. Buddy. Three Kings is not the top 25. Buddy Games. It is, in fact, buddy. God, that one. Okay, yeah. I would actually want to watch Tomorrow War over Buddy Games. Buddy Games was that bad. Oh. Now, if you want was to Buddy know, Games just, mainline or was that a green room? It was. Room. Yeah, I said green rooms counting here. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I just wanted which one was it? Was it now, like was? I guess that was a green room. It yeah, was, it was a green room. Yeah. Now, if you're curious, the top. I'm going to tell you the most, the top five most popular and the top five least popular ones we ever covered. Okay. Um, the most popular were in order were the Batman, Avengers Endgame, because you talked about it in a Green Room episode, despite me telling you not to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, Jojo Rabbit, Arrival, and then Thor Ragnarok. So you guys thinking Thor Ragnarok is in the middle is a no-go. The least ones um, were from least to, I guess, least least, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Buddy Games, Child 44, 
Berlin Syndrome, which I kind of is disappointed it's so low. I wish this movie was more popular. Yeah. Um, Beastie Boys and then Reign of Fire. Reign of Fire being so low is surprising too. Yeah. Actually, Three Kings is seventh least popular, so that wasn't a totally bad guess. <sighs> Three Come Kings on. is so good. So good. Yeah. But remember, Letterboxd is kind of biased towards new stuff, which is why it's kind of weird. Mowgli, because Mowgli is number six. Mowgli and Berlin Syndrome being so low is weird. Yeah. Top Force 4 being new and low makes sense, though, because no one saw it. Yeah. But the other two, I thought, I think, I thought Mowgli, you know, it's a Netflix movie. More people might throw it on. And, um, Berlin Syndrome was kind of popular among the film bros on Letterboxd, so. But yeah. I thought Mowgli got kind of buried by the other Jungle Book, and it also just didn't get a lot of, like, I don't know. I didn't hear much about Mowgli. So what's next on our agenda, Mark? Can you read well, what I wrote in the doc? Yes. Uh, instead of the game that I normally have that I got rid of two episodes ago, it says, we will add a game here that isn't a game. I know what this is. I added that, right? Yes, you so, did. So I should know so what it is. Are you I? All right. Uh, welcome <laughs> back to, to Why it? Is With Ty and Dan, the Marvel podcast where we tell you about who and what is going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm your host, Danny Vincent, with me always is Tyler Borland, and we are here to give our thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Um, that is what this game is. <laughs> that, is that is what this game is. Because <laughs> I did tell you we were going to talk about it on mic because we figured we might as well. A little bit. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Well, I thought, I'm sure I thought that the was previous... part of the intro thing. And we just like missed it, but now yeah. I, I see. I see. It was. It was a ruse. Yeah. Well, because we to... had this time slot set aside for something, and you didn't have a game. So I'm like, oh, we'll just put it here. Because mm-hmm. you know, I figure a lot of our listeners on the show came over from Wyas because I have a following of at least nine people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, at this point, the episode will come out. Black Panther kind of forever will have been out a month, so we can do a little spoiler discussion. We don't need to go too long, and it's obviously it's not our main topic. But, you know, I figured it'd be, well, one, it'd be nice for us to give our thoughts again on a Marvel thing. And also, like, you know, maybe we can fight a bit. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to fight a bit, but we could. I mean. <laughs> I don't think Mark has seen this. So Mark I mean, can no, I'm, I, I'm already, that. like, I've already tried to rewrite things with this movie, as I always do. So. I mean, the movie should be rewritten, but that's because the movie should come out so soon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Dating just shuts down all discussion. <laughs> well, <laughs> does does Martin Freeman die in it? No, he has a very bizarrely big role, <laughs> he has a, and he has a role that sets him up to be important down the road to, road too, which is like what? I don't want this. <laughs> he doesn't need to be important. <laughs> um, well, Tyler, you can go first, even though I've kind of hinted at mine. But okay, um, so. This was, as I figured it was going to be, it was a very emotional um, experience. It was, a, it was an emotional roller coaster. I know that that is widely overplayed, but it it was. Um, but I think that the the film did its best in presentation um, in content. It did its best in honoring Chadwick Boseman. Um, and there was a presence there felt, there was an emptiness felt there that I was glad that they didn't ignore. Um, and I mean, it's written into the script. Um, so, and I'm, I'm glad they didn't, 
Uh, I know that I had, I had said we had we had talked back on why is we had talked about how I was I was like well I think that maybe uh, well maybe we talked on the show or maybe this was just in you and I discussion Danny but I had said something about like well maybe um, maybe uh, Atlantis you know Namor and his people or Doctor Doom and Lat Latveria, I think, is his. Yeah, Lat- yeah, yeah, I think Latveria. Yeah. Maybe they're attacking Wakanda for now that they know that they have vibranium. And uh, and I was like, and in the comics, you know, I was going like strictly off comic stuff, and uh, I was like, in the comics, uh, we're introduced to like. Black Panther and the Fantastic Four worked together early on, I think, and early on in the Fantastic Four run. Yeah. And I was like, this would be a perfect like way to introduce Doom because Latveria can be a country that was formed from the fallout of Sokovia collapsing in Age of Ultron. Um, but I'm really glad that they didn't. And, you know, I was going to say, well, maybe Dr. Doom killed uh, T'Challa. I'm really glad they didn't do that. Um, yeah, thank, thank yeah, God. No, so, thank God. <laughs> so glad because while that's the that's the big cinematic thing to do, that's the in-game proportion thing to do. I'm really glad that they didn't do it. Um, I'm really glad that they went with what they did, um, and I think that it honors it honors Bozeman and his. I don't want to say his presence, and I don't want to say that his legacy is honored, you know, is like hangs over the film, but he is definitely there throughout the film. And, uh, this, I don't know, like you can just feel how tight this cast is in their performance and just how, yeah. Um, now, however, I say how, how tight this cast is. And then of course they had all that stuff with, uh, Letitia Wright, Going on. Although I will but. say, I will say that Winston Duke has gone to. Okay, I'm not defending Letitia Wright because she has some very questionable views on other things. But I will say that Winston Duke, Ryan Coogler, and all these people have gone on record like those rumors about her being bad on set are not true. Mm. <laughs> like she might have some bizarre personal views, but from what I can tell, everything about her being like obnoxious on set, I do not think all of them would be like you know like. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think they're just trying. Yeah. I, I think you can be friends with someone who doesn't necessarily have the same beliefs as you. Um, and even if I disagree with her beliefs, which I definitely do in a lot of ways, I don't think... I I think you shouldn't knock someone for someone they aren't if there's there's actual bad things about them. I'll put it that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I think, to the strength of the film, I don't really think about... Letitia writes bad views while I'm watching it. Right. But I do think, um, I, I think everyone involved is still trying to make the best movie, including her, even with her somewhat bigoted views on some things. Um, but I'm not going to get into that because that is a different conversation. Yeah. My thing on the film is, um, my grade for it on Letterboxd is a three and a half star, but my review <laughs> reads a lot more negative than that because I think the movie is as good as it can be. With the caveat that they were forced to put the film into production about six months after Chadwick Boseman died. Yeah. Um, I think it is incredibly jarring to go from the first, which we talked actually about on this podcast before, the first 10 minutes, because I walked out of it after the first 10 minutes. 
Uh, I think even seeing the whole film, it is incredibly jarring to go from those first 10 minutes of T'Challa dying to this big story about Namor. And it's so obvious to me that what they did was they had this Namor story figured out. And then T'Challa died like, all right, we got to put Shuri in this role. And they did the best they could in six months, but it is not a smooth transition. I think there are other issues in the movie too, but the key issue is, is that there's the first 10 minutes that are really about T'Challa dying. There's the last 10 minutes that are really about T'Challa dying. And there's a movie in the middle where the Namor stuff is really, really great. Yeah. And the Wakanda stuff is good, but makes the mistake of putting Shuri in a lead role instead of making it an ensemble role where Shuri is the movie That's, Shuri's lead. Because yeah. I don't know why Lupita Nyong'o doesn't show up for an hour in the movie. That's insane to me. I don't know why Nakia leaves the movie for an hour and then comes back. Not Nakia, because Lupita Nyong'o is Nakia. Okoye. I don't know why Okoye leaves the movie for an hour and then she comes back. She's like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. Like, And I don't know why Umbaku does not have an actual role in the movie until Ramonda dies. And then when he has an actual role in the movie, it's like, where was this presence the whole movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it all just to me feels like, and that also is a big thing to me, is Ramonda dying. It is, that is the most insane thing to me about the movie, is that the third act hinges on grief about Angela Bassett's character dying. That is insane to me mm-hmm. because it's like Mark. Mark's giving his eyes right now because he's not the movie. He's like, "Whoa, Angela well, Bassett!" That's, that's kind of a big spoiler. Well, again, she's this episode the came out. You, 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 I already said this episode was coming out a month after the movie came out. Everyone who's going to see this movie in theaters already is going to see it. You can mark the episode description with spoilers, and you've already told me you don't care about spoilers for this movie. So I don't care about spoilers. I'm just <laughs> I'm. That's my real reaction now to learning this news. I'm not. You know, you can give me whatever spoilers, and I. The entire maybe, third no, act I'm, hinges on Shuri's it. grief on her mom dying, and that well, to that's me redundant. is insane. And it only would make sense if it was a T'Challa movie. You know, if it's a movie about T'Challa losing his, you know, his mom. Like, not that Romano probably would have had a big role in the T'Challa version, but that's where the stakes would lie. Is like, oh, now I've lost my other parent. But it being Shuri, to me, I was talking to Caleb. Uh, former podcast uh, guest on why is future guest on this show about the movie because he liked it more than me mm. and he goes I I'm trying to figure I, I just lost my train of thought of what he said about Ramonda dying um, well I was telling no no he didn't it's what I said to him is like I have this thing in any movie where there's like a level of misery you can get me to accept but then once you go past it I completely like lose buy-in mm. and to me it's the idea of having shuri who is the comic relief character in the first movie deal of course we she has to deal with her brother dying that is natural with what this movie is about but then she has to deal with her mom dying too and i'm just like no i i, I can't accept that this girl because her dad dies you know in civil war i can't accept that this girl loses her entire family in the span of in her eyes, about three or four years. Yeah. And the idea that I'm supposed to be like, yeah, yeah, the Black Panther. Like, she's the new Black Panther she won. No, I just still feel bad for her. I don't feel happy that she becomes a Black Panther. I feel miserable because this poor girl has lost everything she loves. And there's no way to bring me back from that. And I just feel like it's baffling. Because, like again, it's like the whole movie is the impetus. is like she's like she wants to make this artificial heart shape herb that she couldn't do to save T'Challa. And she didn't try it again after she died. And my whole thought is like, you know, when her mom dies, it's like, if she had done that earlier and she's, she's going to regret this whole life, she didn't try more and more over that past year to do the hardship work. She could have saved her mom, maybe. 
you know? And the movie never addresses that either. Yep. And, yeah. And to me, it's like, I think this movie is as good as it can be with the idea that we have to insert Shuri in this role for T'Challa. But it's just, it just, it's such a miserable story to me for her. <laughs> and it just makes me feel bad for her constantly. And I know that, like, people are like, well, superhero movies aren't supposed to just be empowerment. But I, I think girl superhero movies are. Because we don't have a lot of them. There's, we don't. <laughs> and, that, and that's something that I don't think. Okay, so the, uh, okay, I've got two points on, on that talking point for empowerment. Um, and I think that the the big one for for that is uh, Okoye is stripped of her rights to be Okoye's story. And this gets me mad. And like, oh, okay, so it's at that point when she's stripped of her um, rights to be in the uh, Dore Malage Malage, and uh, yeah. and it's like, okay, whoa, you know what's what's going on here. And then when um, Ramonda dies, I'm like, why Why is Okoye not reinstated? You know, why is Okoye never yeah. reinstated, number one, as, you know, why do we not have that moment of triumph for her? Number two, why does she have this stupid suit on? Why are we inserting these unknown heroes that... This gets me so mad. And, and because the... The oh, hold on, I'll let you go on your on your yeah, go, go 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 go. So my <laughs> thing is is like the the thing about the Dora Milaje is that yes, they are women and it they are like it is out in front of your face that they are skilled warriors that are gonna put you on your butt. And um and we saw that in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And yeah. uh, and you know like they're they're very fierce and there is like you if you see this uh a bald woman dressed in red coming at you with a vibranium spear i mean you know yeah. you're going to get your butt kicked get your yeah get your butt kicked um the fact that they put her in a suit that covers her face i'm like you took away her and her aesthetically, power aesthetically it's just iron man's like it's the aesthetic of what it looks like in iron man's helmet so yes. it's just making it put it yeah yeah, and I was, and I told that to to uh, Felicia. I was like, at the very end when she shows up to to save the day, um, with uh, your pal Martin, and uh, shows up and she's in this stupid suit. I'm like, it's it's like okay, yeah, she she made a suit. Which her being in that suit, the fact that Sherry was able to just whip that big of technology up like her making the advancements with the vibranium totally understand that's totally viable like i think that's feasible because they've had vibranium their entire since their civilization has been around you know they they're experts on that she knows how to manipulate it and works it you know to make it into the suits and stuff but making this more iron man vibranium suit i'm like i feel like that's two things meshing that we didn't necessarily need to mesh and she made two of them and then it just kind of and the fact that we have Ironheart in this which is a college age uh woman i don't mind because a lot of people i think a lot of people hate her in this movie i think she's fine i think Ironheart. (laughs) i think Ironheart is fine 
Um, and I think that sh her introduction is done way better than Spider-Man is done in Civil War. Um, but I think that uh, with the, the fact that they're like, we have three or four different suits running around in this just kind of makes it just another, oh, yeah, they got another suit. It, it, with Iron Man's okay. suit, he had the one suit, you know? So may I may I fix Okoye's arc in a classic Tyler esque rewrite? Yeah, because this this Okoye's thing in this movie infuriates me. I will give a recap for what what her arc is currently, so Mark can follow along. So what Okoye's arc is in this is that Okoye, um, at the beginning of the movie, well, at the beginning of the time skip after the funeral, because the fun the stuff at the beginning with the child dying is really totally separate from the movie other than setting up that oh Sherry's trying to make a heart-shaped herb replacement but Okoye at the beginning of the movie goes to Sherry's lab and Sherry's like look at this suit I'm working on you and she's like that is not for my tradition and it is an insult and it is ugly okay then they find out about this girl who made something that can attack Vivarian that's Ironheart so Okoye is supposed to hunt down Iron uh, uh, Ironheart and bring her to Wakanda Sure, she's like, I can, Okoye brings up the idea, why don't I bring Shuri with me? It'd be good to get her out of the house. And she's smart. She'll be able to talk to Iron, this Riri, because her name's not Ironheart, but she'll be able to talk to Riri better than I can because she's her age and, you know, they both like science. And Ramonda's like, I don't think this is a good idea, but Okoye's like, you can trust me. I'm your most trusted general. They go do this. They go, they, Koye goes with, um, what's it, uh, Shuri, they recruit Riri, but then the FBI shows up, and so do Namor's lackeys, including, I don't know his name, Atuma, is that Atuma his name? I think so, yeah. Atuma is Namor's, like, second, you know how, like, all these Marvel movies have, like, a secondary bad guy, secondary big bad? Um, basically, Shuri gets knocked out in the fight, and Koye and Atuma fight a bit, and Atuma's like, you can never beat me, I'm just inhumanly stronger. Okoye puts up a good fight, but she loses. Shuri gets kidnapped. Then Okoye goes back to Wakanda. Uh, we get that scene in the trailer where Ramonda goes, I am queen of the most powerful nation in the world and my entire family is dead. You know, the thing everyone's like, Angela Bassett, get an Oscar for this, which I approve of if she didn't die like two scenes later that she's in. But <laughs> um, and in this scene, Okoye gets fired because basically she points out in the first Black Panther movie, you sided with Killmonger because you said you're more loyal to from my family, and now you have lost both. Now you've lost my only remaining child to this man who could just kill her at a moment's notice. So, Koye is fired. She doesn't show up for another hour. <laughs> the movie goes. We don't. We don't ever catch up with her until Namor attacks Wakanda. And Michaela Cole's character, who is not necessary to be in the movie at all. <laughs> She's just in the movie because Michaela Cole was asked, hey, do you want to be in a Black Panther movie? She was like, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. Can't blame her. I would like, like I, I can, I guess I would not like to be in a Black Panther movie because my role would be like Martin Freeman's role. And I'd just be like, don't put me in the movie. But I can get why Michaela Cole would want to be in a Black Panther movie. <laughs> but so... Nakia gets Okoye to help her during, like, Namor's attack. Ramonda dies. We get all this third act set up. And during the third act setup, Shuri's like, please, I know I'm not going to reinstate you, but just use this suit I built for you. And Okoye's like, I still don't trust it, but I'll try it. Then we get the third act. Okoye's in this dumb Iron Man suit the entire third act. 
And she gets this one-off show rematch with Atuma. Now, in the movie, she just wins. Like, she just wins in the suit. The logical end to this arc is Atuma destroys the suit and Okoye still manages to pull out a win. Yeah. That is the most satisfying, like, it is what everyone would expect, but it's the most satisfying ending because no one likes Okoye because she's an Iron Man because she needs help. People like Okoye because despite no matter what, she's just a warrior who always pulls it off, even if it looks like she fails. That's what happens in the first Black Panther movie. That's what happens in Infinity War briefly, even though she doesn't have a big role in it. That is why people love Okoye. That is why Okoye is the breakout star of Black Panther, the first movie. Because she says, for Wakanda, I will do anything. And that is what should have happened. She should have proven that Wakanda, even though, yes, Shuri believes in technology, what ultimately wins in this movie? Is it Shuri's tech? No, it's Shuri taking the heart-shaped herb. It should still be Okoye winning with being Wakanda, not with being this futuristic tech, because we have Ironheart to be the futuristic tech. And that's what would have been satisfying to everyone. It's not satisfying to see Okoye be an Iron Man ripoff. Because that's not who she is. And that's not why people love her. Yeah. This is my this is my rant. <laughs> yeah. And it was a long way to get to it, but I felt like I needed to recap it for Mark so we could follow. <laughs> my my rewrite, I mean Okoye, no Iron Man suit. Um my oh, other sure. part yeah, but of I, it, they want to sell toys. Yeah. I get I get they want to sell right. toys. So my we other, have to have the Iron Man suit, my, have it be broken. My other rewrite would be um Nakia is one Black Panther and M'Baku is the other. Don't make sure, make sure she just is like, no, I don't want any part of this. I'm grieving over my dead family. And like, yeah, that's, that's okay. my other, I'm, other, uh, I, my thing with Shuri being the Black Panther is ultimately I'm okay with it at the time because again, they were rushing into production. No one knew Letitia Wright was bad. I think story-wise, ignoring the baggage of Letitia Wright, she does make the most sense. Um, as much as I would love to see Nakia Umbaku as it, I get it. Like, you know, yeah. that's it. It's like, I get it. I can't be mad at them for going this route when at the time they didn't know it. And you can't recast Letitia Wright because of the situation of the movie being about Chadwick Boseman passing. Like, you can't put a recast in that movie if that's what it's about. So, but I, I get it. All right. We should move on <laughs> as much as I'd love to keep talking about. But so wait. I gave it a seven out of ten. What would you give it? Out of out of ten, you haven't seen it. No, but you yeah, basically yeah. told him well, three quarters I thought you of just, the movie. Those pronoun trouble. Um, uh, I would give Mark doesn't mind being spoiled. I give Go the on. movie a out on a you gave it on me. a five point scale. I'd give it a four. Like it just okay, just so achieves so, yeah. it just achieves a four for me. Um, and yeah, just out of curiosity. Oh, sorry. I thought you were done. Sorry. Oh, I no. no. Yeah. Just out of curiosity then. And then we will finally move on since we finished phase four. What was your favorite movie of phase four? Uh, I assume Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Say, (laughs) Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi for the win. Yeah. And second to me goes to um, Shang-Chi. Oh, just for the uh, second for me, uh, uh, Eternals. Oh wait, That's fair. I think no way, for no it. way home is up there no too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've not seen No Way Home since uh, 
it's in theaters, so. Yes. Blame Sony. <laughs> All right, Mark, do you want to ask uh, Tyler our introductory questions now? Uh, yeah, it's an hour and 20 minutes introduce, into our recording. <laughs> introduce Tyler here, everybody. How, how did you first encounter <laughs> Pixar? Uh, so my first encounter with Pixar would I I want to be quick to say Toy Story, but I think that my first encounter was at my grandmother's watching A Bug's Life on VHS. Um, Whoa. yeah. So it's a very same. It's a fun little little uh, adventure that that film is. Yeah. And then when do you think this isn't a question we listed, but it's something that I always feel like comes up. Because most of our people who come on are not animation geeks like me. Um, when do you think you started moving away from it then? Because I feel like everyone moves away from Pixar at some... Or like, you know, moves away from animation at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that uh, I started moving away from more animated films. Um, or just animation in general. Um, I would say that I did that towards the end of middle school and definitely by high school. Um, and that's, that's, so what do that's you think was the last one you saw? The, the last yeah. Pixar film that I saw animation. Well, like the last pic, the last Pixar film you saw, like during your childhood, not like Luca or turning red and stuff. Like I'm saying like when you were a kid, what do you think was the, like when you stopped going to them on? When I stopped, um, I would have to, let me pull up. I assume it's after the Incredibles. List of Pixar. Uh, Ratatouille I saw in theaters. Okay, and I've never seen Wally or Up. So that hits there right about Ratatouille time. Ratatouille was yeah. the last one. And I, I was absolutely in love with Ratatouille. Watched it oh. over and over and over and over again. Saw it in theaters and then bought the DVD and watched it just over and over and over again. Then, of course, that was before. I mean, they had satellite, you know, Dish um, TV, Dish Network and whatnot. Um, we had that briefly, but most of the time when we wanted to watch any movies, uh, we didn't go to the movie theaters a lot. So most of the time when we watched a movie, it was at home, you know, VHS or DVD. That was around the time when, uh, DVDs were really starting to become the main, the main thing. I mean, it was past that time, but, but yeah. Were you a big renter? Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, uh, rented, a ton, uh, both from Blockbuster and then more of like a local chain that's not, they're not doing anything anymore. Well, not much of anything. Uh, family video. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. too soon. But, uh, yeah. Remember when everyone was hyped about the family video in Carbondale getting CBD? I remember that. When, oh, yeah. Oh, that was their big thing. So yeah, <laughs> you could, you could go, like, oh, you could get, you could get, uh, your movies. You could get your CBD, <laughs> and then you could also, they had that Little Caesars right next to them in the same building. You could get your pizza, too. They had a good, so, you know, was, did I ever tell you guys an right? incredible block in Carver. Oh, yeah. So, and the Burger King was right there, too. Yes, yeah, true. Um, did I ever t- and that was right by my house, too, or I could just walk to it. But anyway, did I ever tell you guys my story about that family video? Like, one of the most awkward interactions I ever had in Carbondale, like, ever happened to that family video. Um, that one, no. Uh, I was, uh, I checked out The Force Awakens before The Last Jedi came out. 
Um, we won't talk about the last Jedi, but well, that was your first. I wanted to watch it. On the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I wanted to rewatch it. I got out the Blu-ray from there because it wasn't on Disney Plus or Netflix. Well, Disney Plus didn't exist yet; yeah. it was off Netflix. So I got it out from there, and I was watching a blue the Blu-ray, and then it skipped ahead a bunch of scenes, and I was very surprised because I've never actually had a Blu-ray skip ahead. <laughs> so I go back to the family video when I return and I go like, Hey, just so you know, um, it skips ahead. Uh, it's the scene where like, and I describe like this segment of the, I don't even remember what scene it, but it's like, it skips from the moment when the tie fighters come down, you know, around when Leia, uh, reenters the movie. And then it skips all the way ahead past the Daniel Craig cameo. And I don't know if you've seen this, and I thought to myself, I'm like, what am I kidding? You work at Family Video, of course you've seen this. And she just glares at me, I'm like, yeah, I have. I'm not an idiot. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, it doesn't work. And I just want to give I'm going to go buy a pizza now. <laughs> like, the whole idea of me like explaining The Force Awakens to someone who works at a Family Video in 2017. <laughs> Like, here's the plot of The Force Awakens. The most watched movie in the last 10 years. They, they asked me, so, because my first year at SIU, I lived down in Carbondale. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, I have a family video membership back in my hometown. So, you know, I would think that my membership would carry over. Well, I walk in and I, I get a couple movies and then I'm checking out. And they're like, uh... They said, do you have a, a membership of this? And I was like, yeah, I'll look it under this name. And then they were like, we don't have anything for you. And I said, well, it was, you know, I have an account back in my hometown. And they were like, oh, our computer systems aren't updated to where they carry from town flight location to location. <laughs> so it's just per location that you have a membership. And I said, oh, and they were like, so what's going to be your phone number? And I was like, well, I don't really want to give that out. <laughs> And I just had this moment <laughs> where I was like, I was like, I don't really want to give you my phone number, <laughs> but I told them my name and everything. It was, uh, it was after I think like we had just started production on some. I think it may have been at the beginning of Torak, and mm. and we had just wrapped up early. It was like everyone just got to know each other, and then we all left. And then I was like, I'm gonna get a pizza. And gets a get a movie, a couple movies, and then that. And then I didn't want to give out my phone number, so I was like, "Do I just leave these movies here and just walk?" So that was my experience. I think that was like my one experience with with them. And then I, I created an account and never went back. I, the one thing I also always, and I still do this today. That got me so mad. I remember I. Do you guys remember um, Beretta? Uh, yeah. The summer after. Um, yeah. Summer after I we graduated, Mark was still there. Um, I stayed back in Carbondale. You know, not a lot of people stick around Carbondale, but Brito was someone who did. So we'd have like, we, we hung out a bit that summer. We did some movie nights. Um, I remember once we just went to family video and we were looking for something and she found this movie I'd never heard of called I Tell Giants. I didn't like it. She did, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is we spend the money on it. We watch it. And I'm like, that sucks. She's like, it was great. I was like, yeah, I guess it was okay. You know, cause I'm going to get in a big movie argument with someone. Um, <laughs> like we're having a movie night. Um, and then the next day I'm browsing Hulu and I see it at the top. I'm like, why do we spend the money to rent this if it's on Hulu? <laughs> I was so mad. And not that, because I'm like, if we just watched it on Hulu, I wouldn't have cared. But the idea of it 
Or if it wasn't on Hulu, I also wouldn't have cared that I rented a bad movie, you know, because I took a risk on it. But yeah. the fact that it was on Hulu, I was just like, ugh, I hate that I spent money on this now. <laughs> but, yeah. What was the family video rental fee? I never had one with them. Bucks, I had I one think. with another place. I had like two bucks, I think. It was, uh, it was it depended, pretty fair for Blu-rays. Yeah, it depended on uh, if it was, like, on the outer wall, which is, like, the new releases, or, like, towards the inner... Um, yeah, on out on the floor, um, on what the prices were, but I think it was like two to five dollars was like your price range in those. So and it was like per day too. So like, yeah, I remember once I checked out Spider Man Homecoming. I was like, I have to watch this tonight because otherwise it's gonna be really obnoxious. Because that was like a premium one, you know. Yeah, it was like twenty seventeen. So it was. I think I watched. I had to check it out before Infinity War because someone hadn't seen it. So I guess 2018, but you know what your point is. It's like it was new and it was Spider-Man, so it's like I have to watch this as soon as I get it out, because otherwise it's gonna be really expensive. I'll just keep adding up. But yeah, um yeah. Family video. Now I just run things on Voodoo and you go to the library. So mm. pretty nice. How far away is your library? My library is about like a five minute drive. It's pretty nice. Yeah, I need to use mine a little more. The The ones near me are all under construction. The one that I can go to is like 20 minutes away. But I would I would like to get on the public library train. What's always funny is that the library is, you know, I'll check out something, I'll watch the movie. The, now, now it's like this. It's not like I spend money on it. It's like I watch the movie in 480p and then I find out it's on Netflix after I finish and I go, oh, dang. <laughs> like, I could have watched it in a way better quality. <laughs> Because that's what, you know, the DVDs are at. It's like at 480. So it's like, eh. But it, my TV upscales it, so it's not impossible to look at. But it's like, you know, I prefer to watch it in as HD as I can. So, but yeah. that's not speaking issues. Me spending the money. <laughs> and it's like, why'd I do that? So what do you think of today when you think of the word Pixar, Tyler? Um, I think of family, family fun when I say when I say family, it's it's not necessarily like you have to watch this with your family, you know. But it's it's fun for the whole family. Um, it's it's a movie that like if a Pixar movie is on TV, it's not something that it's like oh well, let's check to see who's in the room, whether or not we can keep the movie playing, you know. As opposed to like if The Godfather is playing on TV and you got a six year old in the in the room uh right so uh so yeah that's what i think there um i also think like there's going deeper into it that i think of people who work for a long time on 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 their art and there's a lot of passion that goes into it and i'm not saying that like there's not as much passion that went into the good dinosaur as opposed to monsters inc and ratatouille you know but uh but but i mean like i, I don't know there's kind of like there's something for everybody well, because i know people that are like oh the good dinosaur is so great you know um but, yeah. i actually know some people like that too yeah um well i was gonna say about the good dino and again we will me and mark will get into this way more whenever we reach the good dino is that Pixar, I feel like, is very much sorted into eras. And the movie we're watching today is definitely, like, their first golden era. Um, and probably their only thing that anyone would ever call their golden era. Mm. Um, but mm. the thing with The Good Dinosaur is it comes out at this time where Pixar is either 
canceling projects that they've already announced, like the film Newt, which I don't know if we'll ever talk about it because it does not exist <laughs> because it was not made. Um, maybe we'll talk about it during our Strange Magic detour because it probably will come up then. Because Strange oh, Magic. Oh man, are is... we f- are we gonna watch Strange Magic? It's from I... the director of a Pixar short film, oh. so yes, eventually we will detour to Strange Magic. And George the director of Strange Magic was supposed to direct Newt. But my point is. Mm-hmm. Which probably means they canceled it for a good reason if you want to strike strange magic. But I digress. Um, but um, but the good dinosaur comes out of time, you know, where they're also replacing directors. Oh, and yeah. it's interesting to say that because the next Brad Bird movie we'll talk about, Ratatouille, is the first Pixar director replacement. But the difference is, is that Brad Bird has such a defined voice that he's able to come in and reinvent the project entirely. With the good dinosaur, it's like we're going to get another newbie on the film and we're going to see how it turns out. I think the good dinosaur has good elements, but you can also tell it's the vision, it's two minds colliding. Um, and I think that's a lot of issues with a lot of the Pixar, I don't want to call it the dark era or whatever, but like the era where, oh, Inside Out came out and that got critical acclaim, but then everything else is either a sequel or like a not liked original movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that is, uh, the issue with that era is that it's very micromanaged. And now, and this is what I was else going to ask you, because this is always what I ask for specifically, and because you're our first guest that I know for a fact has actually seen all three of them. What do you think about the current run of Pixar movies? With, you know, the ones we talked about on Why so, is with Soul so Luca that and Turning been Red? Soul Luca and Turning Red. Um, yeah, yeah. Because that's what I consider a new, I consider that like a new era, personally, because Soul's like, you know, oh, the beginning of the But Danny, films. you forgot about, you forgot about the man. I, we try oh, to man. always forget about the man. We did an entire episode on we we basically did an entire episode on Lightyear already because we covered the direct to video movie that is not on Disney Plus. And the episode was talking about like it's amazing how much better this movie made by like the D list team at Disney. It's better than the Pixar one. <laughs> yeah, we've really spent two episodes on it because I went on another <laughs> podcast to promo this one where I talked about Lightyear. So we've we've got episodes of content all about Lightyear. We need we to get still some have more to do a Lightyear episode of turning red in. Here. <laughs> uh, okay, so Soul Luca turning red for me. Um, Soul is it is like it's it's kind of like a roller coaster hill, and mm-hmm. these are all three that are. Luca to me is top tier Pixar. Like they are, they're digging back, you know, they're digging back at gold. Um, uh, they're getting stuff like where it was like Monsters Inc., uh, Bugs Life, Toy Story. Um, that's what they, they reached the peak. Whereas like mm-hmm. Soul is like, you're getting there. You're building up, you're building up to that. For me, um, Soul, I think Soul works better depending on what stage of life you're in or what's going on in your life at that time. Cause I, I think like watching soul now, it may leave, it may leave a different taste now than what it was when I first watched it. Um, and then with turning red, um, turning red, it was one of the first films that I can recall that like has really captured like, uh, I don't want to say like girl power or like the craze over the boy bands, but, uh, and the, like I have that insight because of talking, you know, with my wife, like watching that movie with my wife yeah. and she was like, Oh my gosh, this was so 
you know, me growing up or this is so this is definitely so relatable. And because movies like that are usually made by like men who are making fun of it. Right. Case, right. You know, so they, like, made by a woman who's like, no, this was a part of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's generally stereotyped. And so that was just very refreshing um, turning, you know, turning red was. And so I think out of those three, you know, I think you've got some really solid, solid work. Um, there's definitely a turn like, we got Incredibles 2 in 2018. Incredibles 2 is, is pretty high up there, too. Um, Toy Story 4, I've not seen. Um, we, onward, we like it here, but some people don't. Onward, <laughs> I mean, I saw, I saw Infinity War, so I saw Onward. So, um. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, I think, th- I think that, Onward kind of came at a at a bad time because that was like that was oh crap that came out on my birthday yeah that was right that was (laughs) right at at the wedding shower holy crap yeah yeah so I think Onward hit the wrong time you know released the wrong time but also I think Onward is I I don't know I've I wasn't impressed impressed with on you know with Onward. But, uh, I, but I, I would, think I would agree. I think that you know Luca like there's a major jump in quality going from Onward to Soul, and Onward came out in March 2020. Soul came out in December 2020. Both and it was the, scheduled for June 2020. Yeah, it was scheduled and, for June. That's important. It both, was probably done in June. Both in and it, it's it's just crazy to me that like the, you know both the production was happening at the same time for both of those. Both uh, released during the pandemic. Soul released exclusively in theaters, except for um, specific theaters that decided, or exclusively on streaming. Yeah, on Disney Plus. Um, it, With the exception of one theater that Danny spent twenty twenty fifty dollars on. To right, see it. and then <laughs> and then you know, onward released in theaters, and it's it is uh, it's just. It's just crazy the level, the amount, like the difference in quality between the two. I think that there's a major jump in quality from Onward to Soul, and then they strike gold with Luca. And I think Turning Red isn't necessarily like they didn't make a major dive, you know, but it, it's, it's kind of like for every roller coaster you get to this hop. Eventually, you've got to go back down, so you gain momentum again to go back up. And now, that dip doesn't have to be major. You don't have to go down to uh, good dinosaur levels of 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 a, of a drop. The argument could be that know. Lightyear is as bad. That's as true. That's true. They, yeah. <laughs> so, they, so yeah, because Lightyear out. Lightyear did come after Turning Red. <laughs> so maybe that is they are on the decline. So maybe the next one is going to be. Like soul tier, and I then got, we'll get Luca tier. So, gotta say, I did not. Well, I mean, honestly, that's my expectation because I think the next one has potential to be good, even though I don't think the trailer is great. But then the one after, I'm really excited for because it's from the guy who wrote Coco and co-directed it. And I'm like, ooh, him going on like as a full director is very exciting to me. Yeah. But um, what I was gonna say is very briefly, and then we can get to the Incredibles because I think you answered the question is. It is really funny to me, even now more so, that turning right about the streaming. And I know we've talked about this a lot, even on our other podcast, but 
this past weekend while I was waiting to go see my play, I had a few hours to kill because my friend who I was with, you know, had to set up the play. I had to do some, you know, stuff with his school. Yep. So I was like, uh, you know what? I'll go to the AMC here and I'll catch this Strange World movie. And let me tell you <laughs> that it is worse than Lightyear. It is probably the worst animated movie I've seen this year. Off the top of my head, it is. It is the worst Walt Disney Animation Studio film, I think, probably since Home on... No, since Chicken Little. I hated it. I was repulsed by this film. Jeez. Um, and not because, for the record, not because there are gay characters in it. No, no, I, I think that it's being really, here's my thought on this representation thing, and this might get me canceled, is I think it's fantastic that Disney's finally getting good representation in both this and the Buzz Lightyear movie. How about next time we put them in good movies? Because I'm sorry, you can't advertise Black Panther Wakanda forever. It's like, oh yeah, we have a gay couple in this. No, you have a woman who's being kissed on the forehead by another woman. That is there's not... A, there's a gay couple in Wakanda forever? <laughs> I, no, I just told you to what, that, that... No, 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 see... Kayla Cole said I was interested in the role because it was a queer role no only thing that happened is you kissed a number Tori Milaje on the forehead at the end of the movie there was no relationship in this film <laughs> you might have played it but there was you're this character it, it no you can't no that does not count you do not get credit for that <laughs> and Strange World it, it's just the thing it's funny it's like you know and Bob Iger, you know, we haven't actually talked about this podcast yet, but Bob Iger has been reinstated as a Disney head. Um, and Bob Iger loves Pixar. And I think it's really funny because, you know, he's going in this award season. It's like, you are supposed to campaign all three movies, but it's so clear they have one great film and then two others that have mediocre at best response and keyword at best response. And, but the great film is on streaming and the other two are in theaters. So, fingers crossed that Bob Iger puts the Turning Red re-release out there for Oscar season, because I really don't see the number two getting any push, because it makes no sense to push these number two movies, because they're terrible. <laughs> don't see Strange World, even when it's on I, movies, it is really, only, really bad. <laughs> I think I only saw Strange World, uh, what Marvel film... Did I see? I think it they was... put a trailer for it in front of Thor. I Thor. I don't think they actually Thor. had. I yeah. I didn't have a trailer with Black Panther. It was so weird to me because it comes out like. Yeah, Strange. You know, I, after. I got a trailer for Strange World at Love and Thunder, and I was honestly like, where did this come from? Because Disney's usually always like, hey, we got something. You know, this is coming. They usually use it all the it's time. It's bombing so and... bad, and it's like, because they didn't market it. And honestly. You know, it might be like, Bob Chapek, how dare you not mark it? Like, flat type of your movie. Then I see the movie, I'm like, oh, no, no. This is not going to do well no matter what. They were cutting their losses. Bob, it's a bad Bob Iger is like, save the money. Just just save the money. <laughs> Bob Iger comes in two days before the movie comes out. like, can we save Strange World? He watches the movie. No, we no. can't. <laughs> we, will, we will cut the losses and we will just move on. <laughs> we got to move on. We, can't, we cannot expect this movie to do well. It's not going to happen. Uh, all right right. we made it to the episode incredibles the incredibles all right you guys ready for this i gotta intro the movie the incredibles pixar the incredibles (laughs) we're just gonna keep shouting over and over the incredibles (laughs) pixar (laughs) animations 
sixth film, but arguably, up until this point, you guessed it, a groundbreaking one for them. Oh. It's a game changer. Tyler, if you don't get the joke, I say this for literally every Pixar movie we talk about. <laughs> this is a game changer for Pixar. This is Brad Bird's first film with the studio. We've been talking about Brad Bird on this podcast for months. Ever since the Iron Giant episode. Brad Bird is the animator at Pixar, I'd say, that becomes a name. We did an Iron Giant episode, right? But it, it becomes a name outside of Pixar. Like, animation nerds. Know who Pete Doctor? Who they know John Lasseter? Oh, he was in charge of Pixar, and he's a creep. But Brad Bird is bigger than Pixar. Brad Bird, he directed a Mission Impossible movie. He is always on the list of like, hey, this guy should direct Superman. He is a big name, and he is Pixar's first outside director that is brought in to pitch a movie. Everyone else has been with the company since the beginning, but after the Iron Giant tanks Warner Brothers, his old buddies at Disney. Go like, hey, why don't you come over to this Pixar place and pitch us an idea? And he's like, all right, I got an idea. It's called The Incredibles. The Incredibles comes out in November 2004 and comes out and it is a smash hit. I believe it is the second biggest animated movie of the year. Can you guys remember what the biggest animated of the year is? It is very easy. Lion King. Shrek 2. It is Shrek 2. Marcus. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, oh, wait, of that year. Of that year is what you said? Of that year, of that year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Lion King. Yeah, yeah. Every Lion year. Gets, Every year. Guess, uh, it's 2004. <laughs> um, but no, The Incredibles opens actually the same month as two other great anime movies. One of them being, well, okay. One of them is The Polar Express, which your mind's very... The other one is the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. But The Incredibles does better than either of them. And The Incredibles wins... Best animated feature at the Oscars, but moreover, and in my opinion, more impressively, it wins best sound editing at the Oscars too. The fact that I think it is believe it is the first animated movie to win best sound editing. I think it is the only one besides Wally. Maybe I'm wrong on that front, but I feel like it is the only one besides Wally that wins. I'm checking really quick. The sound really team quick. was huge on this film. I was looking at, oh, the, I'm at incorrect. the credits. It is, in fact, the only animated movie to win Best Sound Editing. You guys, because mm. in 2008, you know, on both Sound Awards, it wasn't Wally. It was The Dark Knight. There will be blood. No, it was The Dark Knight. Because oh, it was The Dark Knight. Yep, there was The Dark Knight. Yep, <laughs> that was a it. thing. That was a thing. <laughs> wait, um, wait. The Dark Knight, a Christopher Nolan film, won sound editing. I mean, you'd be surprised. I mean, Christopher Nolan films actually usually won sound. I believe Dunkirk won sound. <sighs> Personally, I think Dunkirk has great sound, because um, Dunkirk is very intentional in its bad sound mixing to me. And I know it sounds like one of those things like, the point of it is that it's bad, but it's really like, to me, it's like, the point of Dunkirk is the dialogue doesn't matter. It's a silent film that has indecipherable dialogue in it. So to me, it's like, yeah, yeah sure, I, I think the sound design is really interesting in Dunkirk. Um, but anyway... Uh, also, interestingly, um, it wins the Annie for Best Film. And the Annie is, of course, the Animation Awards. Um, but more interesting to me, it wins the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic An- Presentation. It is the first entirely animated film to win. I'm now checking very quickly to see if it is the only animated film to win. 
Because I feel like the other one would probably be Wally, but Wally was, of course, up against the dark. Actually, never mind. I just looked up a one in 2008. It is Stardust, the Matthew Vaughn film. Oh, no, because, sorry, it's one of these weird ceremonies where the, the awards are the next year. Yeah, Wally wins, too. But it is the first, you can't take away it being the first one to win, so there you go. Um, and, yeah, it's The Incredibles, and, of course, we will talk about this later on on the podcast, like later on in this entire podcast history, The Incredibles, although it does not become the biggest animated film of all time in 2004, it does lead to a sequel that becomes the biggest animated film of all time in the U.S. Because The Incredibles 2 was what something everyone wanted. Whether or not we got what we wanted will be discussed whenever we get to it, because this episode is about the first Incredibles movie. I think that's a good intro. Mm. I think I, I think I covered most of the most of the important stuff. The other stuff will come naturally while we talk about it. So, yeah. yeah. How did how did y'all find this movie? When did you do you remember the first time you saw this movie? I saw it in theaters on Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's that's. Uh, I actually think my story about seeing this in theaters is more what I said last week in our Bounden episode, which is I just remember being mad the movie didn't start. <laughs> it's just got me that dumb because I, I we talked about Bound in last week the short that I played in front of this time I don't know if you remember that short um, yep but I remember just being so mad at the movie that The Incredibles didn't just start I had to sit for this dumb nursery rhyme about Jackalope and I actually really like Bound in now but as a child I'm like just because it's superheroes <laughs> but um but yeah uh I, yeah I, I don't know I don't I, I remember liking it I remember thinking it was cool I remember wanting to be Dash you know, I actually remember the video game for this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but not the oh real video game. Gosh, I remember, yeah. no, no. There's the video game on GameCube, which I don't know if that's what you guys played. Maybe you I did. Played but I remember PlayStation the PC 2. game. But, well, oh. okay. I remember the PC game that wasn't actually, it was like a bunch of mini games, but the really fun one, it was really, it's like games that now would just be on Flash on the website. Well, I guess not anymore because Flash doesn't exist, but it'd be like a browser game. But I just remember there was one where you were Dash and you kept trying to like, you know, jump on people. It was like an, an Infinity Run game type of thing where you just try to keep jumping on these guys who are attacking you yeah. and dodging the bullets. I remember that really well. So, but, I remember yeah, I, I couldn't be beat Rise of the Underminer, but I don't know if that's the same game that you're talking about. No, Rise of the Underminer is the sequel, which, honestly, that'd be a fun little detail. I don't, I don't think I really want to do it, but then you're watching a Let's Play on YouTube and like, this is a detour episode. And we're watching... <laughs> We're watching yeah. the rest of the Underminer game. Wow. <laughs> but, um... What about you, Tyler? Uh, I don't remember if I... I don't think I saw it in theaters. If I... I it would have been at home on Blu-ray... Or not Blu-ray. Uh, DVD, VHS, whichever it would have been at that time. Um, I really want to say VHS, but then again, I don't know if that's when they were making the switch over to DVD. Um, well, do you remember? Would, Side it, note: Do you it remember? Was probably gonna. Oh. oh, it would probably be on both. We actually already talked in our Monsters Inc. episode. I pointed out that Monsters Inc. was the first DVD ever had. Okay, and Monsters Inc. is two thousand one. So I didn't have a DVD player until like oh six oh seven. So okay, so this. You might have had this on VHS. So I would have, I would have watched this on VHS. Point where they were putting that on both. Yeah. yeah. So I watched it on VHS at home, uh, probably like on a Friday night eating pizza with the family or whatever. 
uh, middle school days. And then I remember this was like the go-to movie for several years to play at school when you had like a half day or something. And they were like, oh, well, we need something for the kids to do. And so they would just throw in the Incredibles cart in the big box TV with the VHS player. Yeah. Cart that in and. Yeah, well, yeah, to rewind the tape and because the other classrooms didn't do it, and yeah, so uh, so yeah, that was my my first experience with it. Um, I just I just remember that I was like I like really liked it, but when it first came out, I saw it so many times that it was overwhelming. So I've given it a lot of time. Like I've not watched it since probably oh six or oh seven. And uh really, and you didn't now, rewatch this for the sequel. And then I rewatched. No, I didn't rewatch it for the sequel. I I went wow. to. I took Felicia. I think her and I were still engaged at that time, and uh we're still engaged. We're engaged at that time. It made it sound like we broke it off. Yeah, <laughs> we were engaged. <laughs> we were engaged. Well, technically, at that you're not still. Technically, you're not still engaged. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. R.I.P. Your engagement, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so, anyways. Um. Uh, so, anyways, I remember that. Like, I surprised her with taking her to Harrisburg to go see, go see that movie. And I think that was like the first animated movie that I went to go Incredibles two was that I went to go see as an adult in theaters that I like bought the ticket. And then I was Which like, is really why that movie was oh, so huge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they had all these adults see it. and take who were kids when the first one came out. But, but yeah, like looking back, watching this film now, I like, I, I'm like, okay, there this this movie does a lot you know it does a lot and it does a lot for for me and i'm like there's enough that like these superheroes all have like we've talked about this about it before danny that this is the best iteration of the fantastic four that's ever been ever been done in a movie and it's it's a top five superhero movie period to me yeah you know and i I think and that's and that's what i'm thinking is i'm like these characters all have enough character um that they feel their powers feel unique to them distinct to them that they don't feel like we just threw oh this guy's got super strength so, so let's just throw that for mr incredible i mean the scene where he Launch uses super strength to launch himself, uh, from like between tree to tree to uh, when he's on the island, and then uh, he lands on the top of that, uh, that like coconut tree or whatever. He lands mm-hmm. on the top of that, and then he jumps onto a car from there. But I'm like, just the amount of like stealth for this bigger guy that's super strength is his thing, you know. And I'm just like that. It's cool what the animators did there. With they're like, yeah, this is a I, guy that's you know a big Hulk, but he's stealthy too. You know, I have a lot of stuff I want to say about the powers. But Mark, what about you? When did you first encounter this movie? Well, I I think this was a DVD watch, and I don't exactly remember when I first saw it, but I do think it was just another you know 
we're still in the soup kind of with me and watching a lot of these movies. I think it was one of it's got to be one of those DVD movies. I do think it was something that my parents owned and not my grandparents. So we did have it in the house, but I don't um I don't remember like a first viewing or or anything like that. But yeah, I it's, I watched it on DVD probably back then and now I watched it on Disney Plus. So here we are, you know. But Yeah, I think for me yeah. this watch is um it's interesting cuz Tyler, I think I was with you the last time I revisited this, okay? Um actually really the last few times I revisited this where I'm always taken aback by how mature the story is and how well it holds up. Mm. But I I I will put myself on blast here is one take I used to always have that I would drop being very aware I was not familiar with the medium. And now that I am older and I have read Watchmen and other graphic novels, I'm like, that is one of the stupidest things you ever said, is I'd always be like, man, if The Incredibles was a graphic novel, it'd be in the top ten graphic novels of all time. And I'm like, no... That's dumb. That's also like being a, it's a disservice to this movie to put that hyperbole on it. Um, because they're very different mediums. There's a lot of stuff in here. Like I, I love the maturity of the suicide kicking off the superhero litigation, but it's also like, it's kind of dumb. Like once you really start thinking about it, that this would all, you know, like it's fine. Like I don't think it's a problem with the movie because the movie exists in a comic book world. But like the whole idea of me like comparing it to like Watchmen, where it's like, what if superheroes were real? And we're actually gonna like examine that in a gritty way and being like, oh yeah, this is as good as Watchmen, which I haven't read. It's just very stupid of me to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so to me, I'm actually lowering my grade with this watch with the the caveat. I'm like, well, it used to be a five, now I'm taking it to four point five. But it's really with the reason of me going, dang, I've really overrated this in the past in, in an insulting way to other things. So I'm going to lower it now. Maybe next time I revisit it and I'm away from that thing where I was like, oh, yeah, previously I thought this was one of the, like, the greatest superhero story ever. I can take it back up to like a, a moderate five. You get what I mean? Yeah. That's why I'm lowering my take on it. Because it's kind of a kind of a dumb take of mine that I kept pushing on people beforehand. <laughs> But <laughs> honestly, I, I agree with that for different reasons. I'm not coming to this one as strongly as I had in the past. And I remember not being like crazy in love with it before, but it's, it just is a lot of it hits differently for me now, too, because I do think maybe it's because we as I've grown older, I've had more access to maybe more mature superhero stories. That's really not the way to put it. But ex other I've had other superhero stories which have examined some of these issues now and I've seen things that I agree with more things that I don't agree with more I think as animation it's very impressive and I think it does feel like a very different film for Pixar and an exciting direction for it but I think thematically it's not it's uh, I I kind it doesn't it doesn't really strike me in the same way that maybe it once did i also have some quibbles with um a few like some technical aspects of the movie but just like i don't no, know I, yeah i, I said you, you i said hmm? no sorry i was saying i get you go on sorry i was giving you 
audio well, affirmation. Because... <laughs> oh, well, no, it's just because, like, oh, it is, it's, it's like, oh, I, now I'm watching this again, I'm kind of like, oh, this is kind of a movie about being special, and I'm, <laughs> like, uh, that's... It's kind of hard to say this movie is about other things. Um, I guess it's about family, but that's not really a, a conflict of the movie. I think that I I actually will say that I think the movie does a very good job of showing the family. Um, I think that as a superhero family on screen, this is I like it very much. But I also think oh, this is a movie about being special, and it's not about like. Oh, what if we had something more powerful than the atom bomb? Or like, Ooh. what if superheroes did work for the government and the government was in charge and not like corporations and things like that? It's like all these cans of worms have been presented to me over can, the years. I've been fed more and more worm cans. We, so I come back to this and I can't help but feel like I'm missing some cans of worms. We can go back to that, but I do, because I feel like you just led me into it. Going back to talk to Tyler's thing about the power, which I think is really interesting to talk about here with the power usage. And the reason I say this is I remember, to bring up the sequel again, everyone assumed because of Toy Story 3 that the sequel would take place in real time, like many years later, or at least like they're teenagers. And Bradbury was like, no, that was never the option. Because if you look at these characters, they're all designed for the perfect stereotype of their role in the family. Because... Obviously, the dad is strong because that's the image needs to present to the rest of the family. Um, mom is flexible because mom needs to make everything actually work. The little brother is hyperactive, and so he can run really fast and get a ton of stuff done. And the teenage girl, and I think like, this is really the key to it all. The teenage girl is someone who wants not to be seen by anyone, just wants to go about her day, and she needs her space. I think that it needs her space is such a key to like, oh, of course, like that's why she has force fields. And to me, I'm like, oh yeah, because like once you age them up, all that stuff there, it's like it fits their archetypes is no longer there. Like if Dash is a 20 year old man, him being hyperactive is no longer like funny. It's just he's the flash, you know? But like when it's like a kid who has that power, it's like, oh, of course, that's like the perfect power to give like a five year old kid to like make him annoying. I guess he's he's in fourth grade, so he's not five, but you know what I mean. Uh, but I think what no, I noticed this time, weirdly, in power usage also, is although obviously Dash is the fastest, I think everyone in this movie has some level of super speed. And the reason yeah. I say it is like they're running through this jungle. I'm like, oh my gosh, they really are all just bucking it. And at least we're like... <laughs> Elastigirl, I could make maybe excuse like, oh, maybe she's stretching something. But then I look at her like, no, she's just running. <laughs> but that's not an issue. That's just the animation. Um, but that was just a random thought I had during it. I do think, though, talking about superpowers in particular, because you brought up the thing about Fantastic Four, like this is the perfect Fantastic Four movie. I also think this movie made this, the trope that Days of Future Past codified necessary where speedsters are more shown in these live action movies in like slow motion yeah none of them can match the speed that is given to dash in this movie that sequence in this movie that is to me the coolest sequence in this movie better than any other actually in this movie is the just sheer speed of how quick he's going how 
the camera because you can't you can't do this in live action make it look good. It's because the an- the camera can keep up with it in a way that you can never do in a realistic visual effect. And so it's just mm-hmm. like so. And I feel like also in a weird way, I think Sonic the Hedgehog games have been chasing this too. And it's it's just not possible to hit like the level of speed the dash scenes in this give you. In a way that, you know, like I said, as a kid, like, I wanted to be Dash. He was so cool. And also, this movie, I think, you know, what, I was nine. I was Dash's age when this movie came out, I feel like. I think Dash is, like, eight or nine. I don't know if he has a canonical age. But, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, like, that's who I want to be. That's so cool. And I was I was never a fast runner, but I'd be like, so cool, that is superpower. Oh, my gosh. I like uh, Edna's comment when uh, she's showing Elastigirl the uh, suits. And she makes a comment about Dash's suit, how it's built to withstand the intense friction that comes with that speed. And I was like, like, I was like, why do we not talk? Why do we not talk about that? You know, pick up on that. I mean, of course, it's it's a convention thing. You know, I it's kind of like why, you know, the Hulk is naked after he turns back to Bruce Banner after, you know, hulking out. So we just don't. You know, show that over and over again. But uh if I I have a very small like tangent about that scene, which is it drives me crazy literally every time I watch it, is that the Jack Jack thing happens where she explains the Jack Jack suit mm-hmm. and then it ends up and machine washable darling, that's a new feature. But this is crazy to me, because I remember very distinctly as a child getting this commercial on everything and like you know, TV spots everywhere, and the end joke at everyone was your, it was Elastigirl's thing where it's like, it can stretch as far as you can, virtually indestructible and machine washable. The machine washable line in the trailer was about Elastigirl's suit, and it always throws me, like, to this day, when it happens and she's talking about Jack-Jack, I'm like, that's not where it should be. <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I, I also remember, I, I, I even kind of remember in 2004 seeing the movie and being like, that shouldn't be there. That's not when she says it. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> I do think this is a very special, <laughs> I kind of say using that as a pun. It's a very special movie in terms of superhero stuff, especially as a kid. Because when you think about it, 2004, superhero genre is really just beginning. This is the year of Spider-Man 2. We have the X-Men movies, but it's not like I was allowed to watch those as a kid. We have Blades. which was... So really, to me, the only like frame of reference I have at this time is Spider-Man, right? And in Spider-Man... Spider-Man is the only superhero, and there's a couple bad guys. And I, I know what the Batman cartoon is, and I know who Superman is from cartoons, too. Um, but then this movie comes along, and it's like, there's an entire group of superheroes. So I guess that's kind of like X-Men, but they're run by the government, and they can have kids. And it's like, the whole relocation act, like, it makes sense to you as a kid. You're like, okay, they're in hiding. But, like, you know, you watch this movie as an adult, and it's like, whoa, okay. Like, this is, like, a very smartly thought-out world that is presented as well as it can to children but it's like also like i mean it is very tropey now but it's kind of like the thing where you know you watch seinfeld and you're like oh this is this is cliche but then you're like oh watching the incredibles and like with the acknowledgement this came out 2004 is like oh all right this is interesting this is kind of new for superhero movies at the time in my opinion maybe mystery men does this i've never seen mystery men but i've not seen it either <laughs> mm-hmm. mark what's your opinion on mystery men yeah I haven't seen it, but I think that's, <laughs> I think you do the right thing where you contextualize it with films that came out and it is like, oh yeah, we didn't really have, we didn't really have anything like this at the time in movies. 
it like uh this movie does a really nice job of uh bringing of meshing the um superhero and alter ego worlds of meshing those two together and really recognizing that those are two very interwoven things because like i mean when superman's superman we don't really see much about clark kent you know and in like same thing with batman is uh the consequences of bruce wayne being batman affecting bruce wayne i don't really i don't recall seeing much of that until we get into uh like i don't know how much it's in batman begins but it's definitely in the dark knight you know where we see the two change over i mean spider-man was really good about about that you know about talking about the you know the two being interwoven but i think this movie does a really nice job of of showing that and it's kind of a blueprint for future superhero movies that like you know you have to recognize that when tony stark is in his suit out saving the world he can't be doing what tony stark's supposed to be doing for his business you know and uh yeah yeah it just kind of adds another level to the superhero genre that we didn't necessarily have before you know i mean we talked about fantastic four the uh, fantastic four film that came out was it 2004 when i think it's 05 because there was i i don't know if it's ever been confirmed but there's always been a rumor that they had to reshoot their ending or at least rewrite their ending yeah because the ending to this was apparently very similar to the ending of Incredibles, the ending of Fantastic Four. Gotcha. And it's like, well, shoot, because the Incredibles is way better than our movie. Right. So. <laughs> so. And that's why, like, the end fight in Fantastic Four is, like, just Doctor Doom standing on street corner with everyone just surrounding him, like, stop. Everyone, <laughs> use your powers all at the same time. Uh, yeah. It. Yeah, Fantastic Four was. I don't know. It was it was very much. I don't. Know, it was very much like we've got the bad guy. That's the issues that we that we have. Yeah, we have funny. Like everything else was just comedy bits. You know, um, Invisible Woman uh, when she's on the bridge and she goes invisible and then her clothes are gone or whatever. You know, like. It it was played will, off as comedy, sorry. whereas this one adds gravity to that. You know, like I mean, Mister Incredible going through this midlife crisis of like, what do I want to do? You know, do I want family or my dreams? Well, you know, what I'll what I'll say about this movie is, although I agree that Bob's story is really interesting, and I feel like it's interesting the way I feel like even now superhero movies really struggle to get. Where it's like he wants to be a hero all the time and he can't be. Um, but to me, the best part of this movie as an adult has always been Helen. Helen is such a well-written character. She is she she is all over the place in a good sense. Like in a sense that never feels incoherent. It's like she was a superhero. She loved being a superhero. She also wants to be a good mom. But 
it's just so well written and that is also where I feel like to me, you know, like how people always go like, you watch Shrek and as an adult, you know, it's all these adult jokes. You watch The Incredibles as an adult, you realize this entire movie is about Elastigirl thinking her husband's having an affair. Yeah. At least for a decent portion of it. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, how did I miss this as a kid? And you missed it because you, you know, as a child, you don't even clock it as a possibility that that could be what it's about. Um, mm-hmm. But like here, it's like, it's so evident like you, you're like how you in a way you're like how did my parents watch this with me and be like yeah this is fine <laughs> like because it and it's like it makes our character so rich and so because I remember as a kid being like why are you mad at Mister Incredible you just rescued him and it's like now you're like oh I know why she's mad she should be mad at him <laughs> um and it's just I think how and then of course and we'll talk about the voice acting in general but Holly Hunter in this role is just. Holly Hunter in general has like a voice that's built for voice roles, mm-hmm. and but Helen like Helen is such a good character, <laughs> like she is like there's a reason the sequel focuses on her, and it's because she has so much more going on with her to me than Bob. Even though Bob Bob is interesting too, I think Bob has a more important arc, but Helen is so sturdy and reliable in this movie, both to be really fun. That's the thing too I want to say is like. You mentioned, obviously the jokes in Fantastic Four are way more lowbrow, but I think this movie, one of the funny, the, it makes me laugh every time I see it, and I've seen this movie countless times, is the scene where Elastigirl is infiltrating the um, compound, and her leg keeps getting stuck, and then her body gets stuck, and it's just like this very, it's it's one of those things where, one of my complaints, I'm not going to get too much into it, because I already said it was really bad, with Strange World, is that all the jokes felt interchangeable with other Disney movies. This is the joke that only works in The Incredibles, and it is played to perfection. It's not overlong, and it is constantly very funny, and the payoff to it is a very fun, like, action thing, where it's like, oh yeah, she's elastic, so it's just going to, like, hit him really hard. Like, yeah. I just find it an immensely satisfying scene in a movie that, like, is like, it's a mo- it's a scene that's not necessary, but it's a scene that really adds to me so much. Like, oh, this is how Elastigirl's fighting style is. And I think it's really interesting also that you know, like Elastigirl, Bob, and Frozone all have like very clear fighting styles, and then of course the kids are just figuring it out as the movie mm-hmm. goes on, which is how it should be. Um, but yeah, I think that's what I really like about the movie is that. It's very smart about showing how the robot learns. We know the robot learns, so it's like, we're going to watch the robot learn. And it also shows us step-by-step how Dash and Violet learn about their powers during the fight. I think that is choreographed very well. I think, in general, the um, in both movies, but in this one specific, because we're talking about this one, the fights in these... And I don't... There's this thing where, like, even in, like, good superhero movies... I will kind of like go like days off a little bit during the fights. Um, for example, I love Shang-Chi, but outside of the scaffolding fight and the bus fight, I think there are a lot of moments in that movie where I just cut my eyes, just kind of glaze over during a fight. Um, and with this movie, it's never like that. I find the fights always very fascinating because well, one, because you know, these characters are so distinct. You can always follow the geography perfectly there, there's never a bad visual effect because the entire movie looks the way it does. Um, and actually, I want to point out, I think the robot in this looks so cool because I think it's because of the texturing they have on it that I feel like it moves at a kind of different frame rate. And I don't think it's intentional, but I think it looks really cool. Um, 
And I don't know. I think the fights in this is so, are so good. Like, consistently, like, really cool to watch. Um, I think also, as I said, the sense of speed, not only with Dash, but I think, like, in the opening sequence where Mr. Incredible is holding on to Syndrome's cape, or Incredible's cape. And it's like, dang, they really are flying through these buildings really quick. And I, I think it's just a very well, probably storyboarded film. Because I think there's not a weak moment in this movie where the action kicks in. And you're like, all right, let's move on. You know, it's no, like, I really want to watch this because it's really exciting. And then I also, there are a couple memes with this movie of my family that I really wanted to bring up. And that's um, that you, I feel like every Pixar movie has like, or every kid's movie, really. Because my comparison point is going to be Tarzan. And that there's a moment in that movie where Tarzan is learning about like English and Clayton draws a picture of him on the chalkboard and he goes, no, he draws a picture of Gorilla on the chalkboard and Clayton goes, you need to show us where the gorillas are. Gorilla. And then Tarzan goes, Gorilla. And he just grabs like the chalk and plays with it. And so my brothers and I would always go around going, Gorilla in our house. Or like, there's another part where he like thinks the gun is named Clayton. He says, Clayton, Clayton. Anyway, all this to say is that one of the funniest moments of the movie to me is not a joke. It's when they're, they're, <laughs> they're in the bank by accident and Frozone freezes the cop and the other cops come in and they just yell, police officers. It always cracks me up. It's really stupid. And it makes no sense why these cops are so excited to just yell, police, police officers, officers. <laughs> when they walk into a room. And we'd always quote that as a kid. Whenever we would play like a game where like we're cops and robbers, I always just be like, police officers. So pronounced. <laughs> Also, they have a really funny moment in this movie that we'd always quote around is the final fight where Frozen goes, the remote, the remote that controls what? Yeah. The robot? Because it's like at that point they've repeated it to us multiple times that the remote yeah. controls the robot. And also, kids aren't stupid. At this point, they know the remote controls the robot. You don't need to keep reminding us that that is what we need to do. I feel like it's the only time in this entire movie the writing is really holding your hand. Yeah. And it's very bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the only time with flashbacks, which I really... I have a I have a thing about... There's another time with That's... flashbacks. Oh, when is the other time with flashbacks? It's when he goes, I am your biggest fan, and then it cuts back to him going, Fly home, buddy. I work alone. That's the other time with oh, flashbacks. Oh, yeah. I don't like flashbacks. But... <laughs> That's why you don't like the Knives Out movies. Well, I mean, it's more about like, you know you know what I'm talking about when it's like, this is a thing that happened earlier in the movie, and we're going to show it to you again, but we're also like saying it in dialogue. Mm. Um, I don't, I'm normally, you know, I don't want to be a purist about like, oh, you can't like show and tell something at the same time, because there are ways you can do that. But I just, that, that just smacks to me of like, that does smack to me of handholding, and that is what annoys me about it. It's like... Like, yeah, we know that the only thing that can destroy it is itself because that happened earlier. Like, and I, what I, are you talking I, about? I, I guess I get it kind of from the point of view. Are you, like, are you well, going to get more money out of me by Frozone, like, telling it to me ten minutes with ten minutes left? Like, what do you want? I get that. The thing to me that, that bothers me about the writing in these, and this is such a like, I know we shouldn't really nitpick on this a lot, but the issue of it isn't that like. 
This would just be so much better if just Mr. Incredible shouted to everyone, the remote controls the robot, everyone, because he already knows it, you know? That would make this all work so much better. But the issue is we get Violet going, the remote controls the robot. And then we get Frozen going, wait, the remote controls the robot? It's like, no, just tell each other this once. Have everyone be aware. Like, I get that they might not know, but just, you know what I mean? Like, we don't need to keep, like, having the characters realize something that we are already way ahead of them on. Well, and you it, know? it makes sense because Frozone arrives on the scene. So it makes sense for Mr. Incredible to update him. Like, hey, exactly. here it is. You're like, this does this. This is what we need to do, you know? And then they just get, this is, this is, get to it. This is why the movie's four and a half stars, not five stars. No, I'm kidding. Oh. This, is a, this is why it loses a half star. Well, there are more uh, writerly gripes with this. I feel like... I feel like... Well, Mr. when everyone's writerly, kind of, no one will be. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of my gripes, is I'm like, how do you, how do you like... How do you piece that apart? <laughs> like, you were doing great with your little plan, and then it was like... Yeah, alright, I guess that's the case. My my thing about Mr. Incredible, and now that you've said what you said earlier, Danny, I think this makes more sense, is he really runs out of steam about halfway through the movie. His story is kind of resolved, and then they add in this thing at the very end where he's like, I have to protect my family. And he's like, well, you didn't care about that when you were all like fighting the people in the jungle after... I know you, you thought they were killed by rockets, but you weren't worried about them fighting the soldiers in the forest, so... Why did we care about that? Why, you know, why Why do you have this moment at the end where you're like, I've got to, you've all got to stay behind. And why does everyone want to stay behind? Like, you should, this, this should really be something that develops and not just something you say every time there's a fight. You know, you have to solve this problem incrementally. What I think is um funny on that front is... I forgot. So, Tyler, you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that there were time there were times where like with the animation, especially with Dash running over the water, like it was like, okay, yeah, I can definitely see like it looks the level of graphics like how far we've come between 2004 and when Incredibles 2 came out in 2018, 2018 yeah, you yeah. know, like 14 years, we really, you know, all, you know, full steam ahead yeah. with, with that animation. But like now we, we are so pampered, you know, with how far that technology's gone because I watch, I watch some of these scenes and I'm like, man, this doesn't even look like a finished scene. You know, where back in 2004, well, this, that was the cream of the crop. And, and I don't know, it, it, I'm not picking the movie apart for it, but it, I think it's just, it, it's an interesting aspect and it makes me appreciate, like, you know, just everything well, much more. What I think is interesting about both the movies, and I think Spider-Verse Command Singers Incredibles 2 really overshadowed it, mm. but I think... Um, Incredibles 2 very clearly has an art style choice of it with like very deep shadows, very like kind of line work on their faces. And I think this movie, for its credit, you know, we watched, you didn't watch it with us, but we watched Finding Nemo before this. We will watch, well, 
cars and then Ratatouille next where humans come back into it in Ratatouille. Um, and you look at the humans in those movies and they are not nearly as like stylized, like big chins, big, you know, like yeah. these characters look more like if we made Woody into a human or like they look like the, they look like the Buzz Lightyear model in a sense, like the Lightyear, like how mm-hmm. Lightyear has a ridiculously huge chin in the Buzz Lightyear movie. And it looks weird there because everyone else in that movie has like a normal art style for Disney or Pixar. But here it's like, no, Mr. Incredible has a huge chin. Syndrome has like, not Syndrome, um, uh, Frozone has like a very cylinder head. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, and of course Edna looks ridiculous. Like it is a art style choice here. It just isn't necessarily executed great because, you know, they're still figuring it out. But it looks to, and that's why I, I agree, yeah, it doesn't necessarily always look great, but, like, there's some stuff where it's like, oh, the sunset behind Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl in the flashback looks really good. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, the jump back to Mark, because you were saying Bob runs out of steam as the first half. One thing I really did notice with this first watch, and it's because I paused it to change my laundry, but it's interesting, because I think this movie has a very deliberate pacing for the first half, and then it totally shifts for the second half. And the break point is when Mr. Incredible returns to the island. Up until that point, that's like 45 minutes of the movie. That's about half the movie without credits. A little less than half the movie without credits. Up until that mo- that point, the movie isn't slow paced, but it's very deliberately paced in setting up its characters, its relationships, and Bob's arc. And you're correct in a sense that Bob does arc out after that, because then it needs to become Elastigirl in the kids' movies. Like, it needs to be their movie for a bit. They need to drive the plot. But when they drive the plot, the movie moves so much quicker. Like, everything happens very quickly. There's no real... Because there's a lot of quiet dialogue in the first 45 minutes. Which is good. I think all that stuff is... I know you don't have writing, but I think that is all good. Um, And I think it does... I think it's just interesting, you know. Like, the the first half of this is really slow, I think, for a kid's movie. But it's okay, because you're like, oh, superheroes, you know? And again, the first, like, 15 minutes gives you a lot to, like, yeah. have fun with. And then after that, it's like... And then you get the fight with the robot, but the fight with the robot isn't nearly as good as anything in the second half of the movie. You know? Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to watch this and just notice that. And I've never noticed before, despite seeing this movie countless times before. Like, how much it does shift in the second half. Also, I wanted to say, to jump back to Powers very briefly, is I don't remember who pointed this out to me. Once they pointed it out to me, I was just kind of like, oh yeah, it's kind of funny we just accept it. Is that, okay, so, Elastigirl's power is she's stretching, she's flexible. But we just, as child, I think it's because we're children who watch this, but like, I feel like if we were adults when we first saw it, we'd kind of be like, alright, so like, she become a parachute in a boat? <laughs> like, I don't know how that, I don't know who pointed this out to me, but once they point out, they're like, yeah, I guess her just becoming a boat is a little like, a massive cheat of her powers. It's like, it, that doesn't really make much sense, that she's just a boat. <laughs> but, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's like, okay, sure, why that not? That makes sense, man. You have, if you displace, if you displace a greater volume than your own than your own volume, then you're, that's buoyancy. I feel like Edna should have explained this to us, like stopped the movie for a bit, like wrote over it going like, all right, you might be a little confused, but... <laughs> um, I have one more little gripe with it that's a technical gripe, and I wonder if y'all feel this Okay, yeah, not, yeah, sure. But... And then we can move on to like voice cast and stuff, because we still haven't really talked about it, so I mean praising holly hunter well maybe this maybe this will be an interesting transition because i actually am a little sometimes frustrated with the 
acting on this watch at least i feel like the voice cast the voice cast is is really interesting and they do some good work i sometimes feel like the gestures of the characters don't match the energy mm. that is is being delivered from the actors and i just happened because i was curious about the visual difference the visual improvements i just clicked on incredibles 2 briefly after watching this just to see and have it some fun there. It is very jarring when the credits roll and like Incredibles 2 next pops up and you just see these really hyper better rendered models of Elastigirl and Bob. <laughs> Go on, sorry. Yeah. No, I mean that's I mean that's part of it, but it's the the thing is still there. I'm I was particularly watching the monologue where Catherine Keener says like a child he conflates the two. <laughs> Do we all we all remember that classic line? That is for sure. Okay. You you don't remember that classic line from Incredibles two? Oh my god! I think Incredibles two has classic lines. If it did, that would be one of them. I think it's the raccoon growling. I think that is the. Um, I don't think the movie had memes other than a violet like snorting the 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 water out of her nose. Well, it was just the meme of her saying that line really um but i just i mean the same i had the same issue with this film and i wonder if you, you both have any insight or wait, wait, anything wait, wait. like that because i feel like do you think incredibles 2 has the same issue or no that's what i'm confused about i'm saying it does have the same issue and i'm saying hmm. i mean specifically i'm thinking about um i'm thinking about uh well, this isn't really a voice acting thing, but it's the moment Mr. Incredible's driving in the car, and then that old woman pops out in front of him. Oh, not that scene, never mind. <laughs> his, no. You're talking um, about, don't take seven! <laughs> I think that scene is the funniest the scene what? in the movie. Like, when they're there in, like, honey, how's the lever up there? And she's just stretched across the entire rocket, and then they just go downtown, and it's like, take this exit, take it. I think that is the funniest thing in this movie it always just has me laughing about the entire sequence that, that scene that scene doesn't make any sense either because it's first, of funny he delivers funny. the line as though he doesn't want to go downtown and then he says that it will take him downtown just that drives that has driven me it nuts makes, since i was it, a child well i would have to have the scene right in front of me because to me it has always made sense but i cannot it, like step by step he doesn't explain say the, the line scene right about the scene in front of me he he says the line. Is Mar- uh, though... Tyler, what's your opinion on this scene? Does it make sense? Um, I think it's it's funny. I've not thought about it in depth enough to <laughs> really determine <laughs> like if it makes sense. I want to go back now and watch it because I do think yeah. there is a difference in his tone when he's like, "But if I take this, it'll go downtown," and then like he just screams. He's like, "But that'll I mean, take me downtown." And so I mean, but I'd Mark, have to here's my question it, for. But Mm-hmm. Here's my question for Mark: Is um, you, do you have a car where you live? This is a rhetorical question because I know you don't. <laughs> okay. Rhetor- um, in my experience in the city, you do, even if you want to go town downtown, you don't want to go downtown because that's where the traffic is. You would like to find a way around downtown. So to me, this scene makes sense. She he doesn't want to go downtown, even though he does want to go downtown. Now I'm I'm thinking of the uh, little shop of horrors song. 
Oh, I was doing the Bad Macklemore impression. Oh. <laughs> I forgot he existed. <laughs> we should all. We should all forget he <laughs> That's just not what happens in that scene. Um I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking about just bizarre psychological moments like i do think when the woman walks out in front of his car in the beginning and his eyes get wide very slowly it's like eh, why like why is that your response to that i actually think that edna watching it this time has the most trackable psychological arc in every scene <laughs> i feel like she Sorry, I can't. I can't. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, but it's the case. You can watch her scenes with, um, you can watch her scenes with Ellen, and you can watch her ideas develop. And part of it is in the writing because Ellen is listening to Edna more than she's also driving the scene. But it, the Edna in those scenes is so rich. And her scenes do have an arc. And Ellen comes in and she's just kind of like, oh, I'm going to like stare blankly at this thing or I'm going to be like surprised at that. And it doesn't like her. Her gestures don't build well, as the information she receives changes. The thing is, Mark, my, my problem with arguing this is because here's the thing. You might be, I think you have a good point because I actually also was looking for that because I not because of what you said, but because I thought. You know, I saw Strange World this week, and I there's this thing on TikTok recently that I saw. And I'm not on TikTok, but people send me stuff anyway. And it's like, this is me delivering if I was in a movie. This is me delivering if I was in a Pixar movie. This is me delivering if it was over the Claymation movie. And the Claymation one is, like, really cool. But, like, when it's a Pixar one, and I hate podcasts on a visual medium because I don't know how to describe what I'm about to do. But it's like, hey, I really love you. And it's like their hands are moving all over the place because that is how characters talk in Disney movies. Not necessarily Pixar movies because Pixar movies generally are more subtle about that. Although, yeah, I'm sure in Luca, like there are points where Luca's like, whoa, keep away from me or something like that. You know, I just put my hands out really big, but not to the point where like, you know, like Elsa might be like. I just really want, you know, I don't need to do this example, especially because this is not a visual medium. <laughs> and so everyone at home's like, why is Danny just putting on a dumb voice expecting us <laughs> to understand what he's doing? Um, but you know what I'm saying is like, and I don't think this movie has it, but what I think is interesting, Mark, is that you're arguing that Incredibles 2 does not have that. And I can't, I haven't seen that movie in four years. I can't argue one way or the other for that. So maybe it's like a Brad Bird thing. But I feel like even then, I don't know about... I, again, I haven't seen Ratatouille in forever, but I remember like the big thing from Ratatouille is that there's a moment of it where Remy goes, yes! And he like does a fist pump, and everyone was always like making fun of that. And to me, it's like, well, then that means the big thing everyone remembers from that movie is a gesture. So I feel like maybe it's just something where it's like, they. to me, I want to be like, oh, maybe they didn't develop it yet. But you're telling me, no, it's not developed in 2018 either. So I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do if it is. I do think... It does though, still come down to, you know, this is the first really, in general, this is the first animated CGI movie to fully focus on humans. Because I know the argument is like, well, Shrek, but like Shrek still like, he's an ogre, but there's also Donkey and Puss who are not humans in Shrek 2. And they're very like, you know what I mean? Like there are humans in it, but they're not like all humans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. will say that there is a a point where Elastigirl, I think is when she's talking to Edna and uh, she makes, she 
basically does something where she's she's disappointed in herself. And I think it's when she thinks that uh, Mr. Incredible is uh, cheating on her or, you know, having an affair. Mm -hmm. And she's like, of course, how could I be so, you know, so stupid, so dumb, uh, so no, so naive. And I think they overplay the emotion to it, like, or they over overplay the hand gestures to it. And uh, it's kind of like holding our hand through it. And whereas like, you know, her just saying, of course, you know, and maybe a subtle like, oh, yeah, duh, I should have thought of that. But she does this whole like hand. She puts her hand motion or yeah, puts her hand into a fist and then is like drats, like makes a swooping motion with her hand down that to me feel it kind of cheapens the moment and softens the like that emotional uh like storm that she's been going through in inside i, I think that so, scene i think that scene mm-hmm. is played so big to how it would be played today yeah in any animated movie because i think in a way having her have like the tissues and like really crying during it, it's like this is this is too big it's like I I don't know how to ma- like animate this like crushing realization. So we're just gonna have her be comically crying, and I think in a way that's like the one time in the movie like it really betrays Helen as the writing betrays Helen as a character. Um, but I also think in a way it feels like an animation shortcut. You know, it's like uh, how do we do this? So let's just have her cry a lot. Um, I do think also I was gonna say because we said Edna is very animated. I think a lot of the minor characters in this movie are very animated. I think. This little rat is guilty. His teacher is so big and over the top. You know? Mm, yeah. Dash's teacher. I think, um, and this is what I was going to mention. Uh, I have the, uh, one of the first Facebook page I ever made it made back in high school was, uh, every Harry Hardluck and Sally Sob story that gives you a phone call. I think Wallace Shawn's character is so over the top. Um, uh, which is fine. I think it's very funny. I think it's also very interesting, you know, beforehand his roles in these pixar movies is only rex really so it's like oh what should we give our neurotic guy we're gonna make him the evil insurance boss i think that's really fun for him to sink his teeth into um but like that character is very over the top in movement and in design um Mm -hmm. also sign that i really wanted to say about his character is i think this might have won best sound editing just for, I realized this, is when Mr. Incredible throws him against the wall and then he hits the ground. When his head hits the ground, you hear a squeaky toy sound. Oh. <laughs> I, I feel like that has to be why it won the sound. I'm like, that's it. That's right there. That is so, that's so funny. It's just like, Mr. Incredible almost killed this guy. Yeah, let's put a squeaky toy sound in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's not an issue of bigness. I think, Tyler, your example, you put it really well. It's more just appropriateness. Sometimes I don't feel like it's there. If we think of these characters as actors, which in many ways they are, because I I believe, well, I don't know. You could say this about Disney animation especially. So here it may not, like just Disney animation where they have like one person per character. Maybe this is more true. But that was my thought about some of these. I'm like, uh, it's weird, weird choices for some of these moments. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I I would agree with that. I there are some weird, but it, I I don't want to sound like I'm excusing, but it does really feel like to me like one of those limitations of CGI at the time. At some points, not all the time, but at some points, um, like not yet figuring out how to do these more complex emotions in animation. But 
That well, also might be just me making excuses. And they and they may they may have been at a point with with the animation that like they couldn't necessarily like add in points of movement. You know, like you can only add so many points of movement yeah. for your your three D model to move, and maybe they couldn't make the those finite. You know, those super. Yeah, like they couldn't get those really tiny, like subtle movements, so that's why it's overplayed. You know, I I don't know, but that's why I'm not an animator. Yeah, no, I, I mean do it does that. open up an interesting <laughs> thing to discuss. Is you know, if you have a human in front of you, you do expect a different range of motion to be expressive in the same way as like a like a paper cutout or something like that, and then you move mm-hmm. down the spectrum of how these different layers of complexity com- communicate the same thing. I don't want to rush us, but I do think we all want to start like moving towards the end because we've been talking for quite a bit of time. And I know a lot of that was us talking about other stuff, but we, we still have a lot of stuff to talk about The Incredibles. I just want to start us moving down this list, but I did say, let's talk about the voice cast a little just before we start moving down the list. Because um, I already mentioned, obviously, I think Holly Hunter is the MVP of this movie by far. I think she is fantastic here. Um, very special role. I also think Craig T. Nelson. I think it's really interesting that this movie that's such a big part of our childhood, like, you know, the other movie of the year, Shrek 2, the big voice actors in it are, you know, Mike Myers, Cameron Diaz, Eddie Murphy, Antonio Banderas is the big add in. But this is like, now nah, the leads are Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter, who are not, the, not in any other kids' movies that we would know of at the time. Now, now watching more older movies, I recognize, you know, Craig T. Nelson, of course, is in Poltergeist. And um, Holly Hunter's in so many classics, but like they're both really great voice actors who I don't think ever really took on other roles, which also makes them feel special here. Um, and of course, you know, Dash and our, the Violet are great too. Um, but what I also, who I really wanted to also, well, Samuel Jackson, Bug and Lucky, also fun little roles. I, I remember last week I was like, we're going to talk about Bug Lucky more, but I don't, I don't really see a point to that, even though he is really fun as Rick Dicker. Which is a fun character name too, uh, but I feel like it'd be really remiss not. To t- I also want to give credit to Elizabeth Pennell, but we have to talk about Jason Lee's voice performance in this. I feel like, yeah, I think yeah. it is the pinnacle example of what you can do with a known actor in animation, because Jason Lee could never play a role like this in live action. He would just never be offered it. And you wouldn't expect him to be as good as he is here. But I remember the big complaint about Incredibles 2 is like, there's not as good a villain as it, and Catherine Keener is fine. She is nowhere near the level of Jason Lee, because I think Jason Lee is... I know I said Holly Hunter is like the key to the movie, but Jason Lee is the reason this movie like really was like, oh my gosh, this is scary. His voice performance is so good <laughs> like <laughs> yeah he was um yeah yeah <laughs> like it was okay <laughs> no i mean he was really good i just don't have like it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to take it apart i mean it's it's interesting about him because i i never remember that it's jason lee doing it i always have to look it up and then i'm like oh yeah there you go so maybe that's part of it is that he he kind of transcends himself I yeah, just know Jason Lee from My Name. I think My Name is on around the same time as this came out. Yeah. So it's yeah. just like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on that. But it's like, 
the idea of like, oh yeah, the Pixar, you hear about the celebrities we got, and you know, it's like, it's Holly Hunter, who you're, and Craig T. Nelson, who your parents would know, you know, like, they were in, I believe, Holly Hunter, you know, has an Oscar, and Craig T. Nelson, like, was on, I think, wasn't he on Cheers or something, or Coach, or something? He was on something. He was on some TV show in the 90s. Yeah. Um, Maybe Frasier. I don't know. Mm, not Frasier. So people <laughs> know who these guys are. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah, I feel like Frasier doesn't sound right. But, um, but then Jason Lee's like, oh yeah, he's the guy who's probably going to do the, the talk show circuit for this, other than Samuel L. Jackson, because he's currently on My Name is Earl. And it's just like, the idea of him like doing interviews, like, oh yeah, like, tell us about My Name is Earl. He's like, yeah, it's a really great show. I love it. It's very funny, you know. Um, and, and tell us about your, this new movie. Oh yeah, I play a super villain. <laughs> I play, like, like, I play the bad guy who's killing off all these superheroes. And it's like, again, it's something where it's like, you would never, like, you could, he would never be in a Marvel movie doing that today. You know, like, like, think about, like, think uh, comparatively, like, if Nick Offerman got caught cast as, like, the big bad in, like, Avengers 2. <laughs> like, it just wouldn't <laughs> happen. Like, imagine Nick Offerman as Ultron. It did happen in Avengers 2. No, but James Spader, though, James Spader at the time is more famous for The Blacklist if he's on TV, which is in a villain role. He's like a Hannibal Lecter-esque role. So that makes more sense than, like, say, yeah, the leaf of My Name is Earl is going to be my villain. I'm just double-checking to be sure that My Name is Earl did come out this time, because it's going to be really funny if my entire argument is like, yeah, uh, crazy this was on at the same time. Oh, I'm wrong. My Name is Earl premieres the year after this movie came out, so... But I do think Jason Lee's more known as a comedic actor than anything else. I don't think he's really known for having the dramatic weight he's given in this movie. I think this movie's also really interesting. Sorry, I said that was my last point, but I do think it's interesting how much death is in this movie. How many, like, of the the henchmen just die. Like, I think it's kind of... Oh, cool. yeah. It's, Dash, it's not... Dash kills so many people in this movie. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say, it's not far into them being on the island where Dash can use his powers out in front of non-powered people, that he kills a guy and ex- explodes he him in the so cliffside. He kills so many people on this. <laughs> yep. It's just like, so, wow. Incredibles so 3, Incredibles 3 is going to open up with them all being in a psych ward group therapy and just, just talking. Can the leader Maybe, be the guy... <laughs> Can, can the leader be like an 80 year old version of the guy who's like you didn't save my life you ruined my death that's what you did can that be the, the leader of the psych ward like, these guys are our grievance by the Incredibles <laughs> what oh my oh my I'm just how do you guys think this movie affected us like growing up because to me I think this is like a big I don't want to say a gateway drug, but it is a big gateway to superheroes. I think the combination of this and Spider-Man 2 really made me not... I didn't read comics, but it made me, like, check out, like, the Spider-Man encyclopedia from the, the library and, like, read about, like, Marvel and other stuff. It made me want to read the comics and the Disney Adventure magazines that they would continue on with The Incredibles. Um, I think this, in a lot of ways, even though it's not, like, Spider-Man or X-Men level or even Batman Begins level... I think it is a very clear, like, beginning of the superhero age. In a way, probably Brad Bird regrets. Because <laughs> I don't think Brad Bird really likes, like, modern superhero movies. Judging off his general attitude in interviews about stuff. Mm. I, I think that, like, I think kind of what, what you said about, like, the gateway gateway thing uh, with this movie being that. Um, 
I think that it did serve as that for me. Um, however, at that time, you know, here I was middle school watching this, and then I was like, well, that was pretty cool, but they weren't like the Avengers or the Justice League, so they're they're kind of like B-list. And I just kind of moved the on babies. from they're them. They're for babies. <laughs> right, they're for babies. The Incredibles <laughs> are Disney-fied. They're for babies. Um, but in saying it's that... cartoons! <laughs> it, it did push me... It did push me towards other... Other superhero, uh, you know, films. And so, like, that maybe I wouldn't have ventured toward at that age. So... I make that sound like I, I watched some hardcore R-rated Blade Three or something <laughs> at a middle school age, but it, no, this movie, this movie has more depth probably than Blade. Um, I don't know. I, think <laughs> also, I, I will ask Mark, but I, I wanted to add something to mine, which is you know I remember growing up, I'd always be like, "What superhero movie do you want?" I'd always say The Flash, and it's not like I watched the Justice League show. I think I just wanted like a movie about someone with Dash's powers. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I wanted a full movie of that, and it looks like I'm never going to get one. <laughs> like at this point, it's like I'm never going to get one. Well, so you know, if whatever, Warner Brothers, it's fine. If I have to Warner Brothers them. If they, if Warner Brothers could actually make a good decision once in their life, I mean. Well, they did, yeah, with the HBO Max exclusivity or whatever. But other than that, yeah, yeah, they made they made a they made a really good decision. Did you guys see the decision they made earlier today that they're going to title? This is so funny to me. They're going to title oh, wait, the combined no. service of HBO Max and Discovery Plus. They're just going to title it. Wait for it. It's just going to be titled Max. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Max. <laughs> No, people aren't gonna know. No, people so aren't gonna know the difference if you're watching a streaming show or if you're watching your neighbor's dog. Now, if you if you say I'm gonna go home and watch Max, <laughs> oh, the dog? No, Max. I'm, I'm watching. Watch Westworld. <laughs> Max. <laughs> uh, Mark, what about you? Yeah, I agree with what Tyler said, and then now as I've grown older. I mean, this is not exactly how it affected me, but it. I had the same thing. When I was younger, I was watching cartoons of Justice League characters and things like that, and reading some comics here and there, and Incredibles was kind of off to the side being different, and I remember I watched it a lot, um, and I really enjoyed it, but it was kind of... I don't know. I can't really... I can't really think of my biggest thing with this movie was going over to someone's house I knew and then playing the video game. Like that's my big Incredibles memory and of course like it is very quotable. Um I think that these films keep getting more quotable and that was a big part of it. But I well, can't huh, help I actually think this is the point where it cuts off cuz the next one is cars. I think this is like where like the quotes stop coming. But that's just me. Well, they have they have, this is this is quote peak. <laughs> yeah, quote yeah, mountain, is, and that will go it, down the other side. All, it's all down after this. <laughs> yeah. But but the second part of, you know, I agree with what Tyler said and then the second part of that now is I can't help but feel like my whole life I've kind of passed the Incredibles by so far anyway. Maybe this is maybe it's really a film for people with kids. 
but I feel like I went for it being something off to the side when I was younger. And now I'm at the point where I've read other superhero media that's darker, like I mentioned earlier, and now it's off to the side again, but because it's not tackling the things that are on my mind right now. So maybe it's really a, a movie for people with kids. That makes sense. And then what what do we think this um, contributes to our conception of Pixar? I think, to me, this is a radical leap forward in the idea of maturity. But not like in this... This is a very... This is here's here's a key point. I don't think by maturity I mean actual maturity because I actually think Finding Nemo is a more mature film than this in fit themes, but in the idea of being a child, I mean like, oh man, people die in this movie and there's a suicide and there's like you know like you know what I mean? It's like that type of like oh yeah, hardcore maturity. And you know what? I do think Pixar does return to that well a bit down the road, um, but I also just think you know in a way this just kind of after like the making a dumb fish movie, this is like Pixar doing something really cool. And I think this is in a way also is Pixar becoming more of a concrete idea of a boy's studio, which is something we didn't really talk about with this is because even though, as I said, Helen's the best part of this movie, it's still like it's a movie about Mr. Incredible and syndrome. Like that is what this is about. And then after this is, you know, you get cars, you get Ratatouille. Those are all very male centered stories. Um, and I think this movie very much contributes to the idea that Pixar is a boy studio making superhero movies for boys, even though there are girls in them. Mm. What about you guys? Yeah, I think this is part of Pixar being part of like Americana to me. So it becomes more of a boy's studio and it also becomes a little, I don't know. I saw this, it was on the Wikipedia page of this list of like one of the greatest conservative films of all time. And I don't know if it's like, <laughs> I don't know if it's like, actually a conservative film i think it's kind of off doing like a libertarian thing but it's even even then i think that's part of my my encounter with this film now is i'm like ah this is kind of like it's kind of wholesome and very like uh it's it's very it's very nuclear and it seems like it's connected in a lot of ways to the nostalgia that other Toy Story movies have had, like Toy Story uh, with Woody and Buzz. Uh, there's this <clears throat> nostalgia for the past and even in some other films they'll make later on about like classic cars or the 50s in Paris. What about you, Tyler? Um, my conception of Pixar, I mean, this... I think I, I think I kind of already already said it that this film really just uh, it shows me that yeah lightning can strike more than once you know it can strike twice and uh, Pixar's very good at at doing that and under the right direction they they can produce quality content. That and not just quality content, um, but I mean something that is different each each time. You know, like with with the Marvel films, as much as I love them, there is a certain formula that they you know that they mm -hmm. that they follow. Whereas with the Pixar films, 
I don't know. You you you're kind of throwing categories in a box, and then you're kind of shaking it, and then just you don't know what you're gonna pull out. And uh, you know, are you gonna go uh, onward, or are you gonna get Toy Story? Are you gonna get you know Bugs Life or a Good Dinosaur? And I think that even when they do, when they're not that that great i think that uh there's there's still something something there there's you know um i don't know i feel like i'm not answering this question <laughs> this question uh no it's okay ad- adequately but yeah i yeah so no you're good yeah all right so any final things to bring up i have Three things, but I will start with one, then ask you two for the over two, and then if we don't get to my over two, I will wrap mine up. But I forgot to mention, we talked about our memories about this movie coming out, and I do remember, as is tradition, I feel like, with these Pixar films, I remember getting the teaser in front of Finding Nemo and thinking it looked terrible, because the teaser was just Mr. Incredible trying to put on a belt yep. and failing because he's fat. And I remember just being like, this looks really stupid. <laughs> like, is that... The-? And that was always the thing I feel like... I remember that just being my distinct response to all these teaser trailers. That I always be like, is that the movie? Like, is the entire movie just him putting on a belt? <laughs> like, that, that would just be my takeaway as a child. I'd be like, that's dumb. Um, but do you guys have anything else you want to talk about we didn't reach yet? Because I can think of two things, but I want to see if you guys have anything first. Um, Did Brad... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, if you... Yeah, if you've got it... Mine's a joke. Okay. Did Brad Bird invent the Pixar mom? It's the first movie with humans. I, I think that came my mind. I definitely think, especially because the movie has the scene where she checks out her her butt in the mirror. You know, <laughs> like, and you know, I always was confused about that scene as a kid because, well, one, it's a joke for you know parents. Like, kids aren't necessarily gonna get it. But I also was like, why is she fat? She can stretch. Why doesn't she just like, you know? Hold it in. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, like, <laughs> like, I guess that doesn't make much sense for me to be like, but yeah, I just remember that being my thought as a child to that. But I, yeah, I think this invented the Pixar mom. Andy's mom Truly isn't really a, a great that technical leap forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say anyway, that. That's my thought. Uh, even though this film, you know, superhero film, and yeah, even though it's a superhero film, I can't help but notice that there seems to be quite a bit of uh, inspiration from James Bond uh, films. Like I, I got, especially when he's on, when Mr. Incredible's on, on the Island, I'm like, this is very James Bond esque. And I didn't pick up on that, you know, obviously growing up. Um, But, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, I was like the, it's James Bond esque, but it's not like paper copy James Bond, you know. And I was like, "That this is this is cool." Yeah, that was just well. That actually leads me really well into the other thing I wanted to bring up, which was because um, Mark will know I almost always bring this up, but the original person attached to the score for this was John Barry, who did a ton of Bond themes mm. in, back in the day. Uh, he actually wrote the original, you know, like the like the actual yeah. Bond theme. Um, but he didn't want to do something. Like, he didn't want to duplicate. Wiki says 
did not want to duplicate a sound of his previous work. So instead, the assignment was given to Michael Giacchino. This is like one of the very first Michael Giacchino projects, period. And that's, if you've listened to Why Is With Ty and Dan, you would know Tyler and I have very strong opinions on Michael Giacchino. Um, but as for this movie in 2004, I do think it's a great score. I think it is a, like, it makes sense why it became big after the score. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's incredible. But, like, it is a very, it's a very good score. Like, the theme, it feels instantly iconic. I remember when the trailers for the sequel came out and it just hearing that score again, I was like, ah, yeah, the Incredibles are coming back. Um, I think it's just really well utilized. It, it feels very Bond. But it does still feel very, like, a distinct score. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good one. doesn't really get emotional like some of the Pixar score, but that's okay because the movie's not as emotional. So, um, my other thing I was just going to say is, no capes! That's all. <laughs> um, all right, so, Mark, how about you explain to Tyler our little tradition we do at the end? Oh, yeah. Well, um, you know how a lot of people give films ratings, like star ratings or number ratings or something like that? Mm -hmm. We here at our podcast, Looking for the Ocean, like to literally give the film something. Like, if you were to, in response to this film, give it some kind of gift, mm -hmm. like an object or an activity, what would that be? Now... Uh, you know, usually we go first because this is a little unhinged, so you get a sense of yeah, it's what, very unhinged. What kind of what kind of thing this is going on? Um, you know, I I think I think that this this superhero movie is is just you know I I came away mostly positive from it, and. I want I have a lot of gripes with it. I think coming off Finding Nemo, I have a lot of gripes with this film, but I did have an overall positive experience with it. Um, so I, I think maybe if if we, you know, we talked about Wakanda Forever earlier. Maybe if we smashed together the parts that you liked of Wakanda Forever and this film, you'd get like a five star film. So I'm going to give this film a copy of, I'm going to give this film a ticket to go see Wakanda forever. I thought for a second, you're going to be like, I'm going to give this film a Koye's new suit. So it's <laughs> <smash it." laughs> um, all right. So mine is, I think mine might be the most unhinged I've dropped yet. So listeners of the podcast and who actually watch her long of us, which I don't think are many, or maybe not anyone, but Mark will get this. And Tyler, um, before I, g I'm going to give it to this anyway, but do you remember the Buzz Lightyear movie? Yeah. From when we were kids. Yep. So, one thing this movie has always reminded me of is the scene where Mr. Incredible is walking and you go, the, you know, the score goes do, 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 do. And then the beacon goes off and he gets hit with all these really gross, like blowing up tar things and the reason i bring up buzz lightyear is is in the opening training scene for mira nova and buzz lightyear star command the adventure begins starring tim allen she is shot at with something very similar that makes her sink into the ground and i think that this i think that most people prefer to sink into the ground than to be suffocated by these giant balls of mud 
Um, so I'm going to give it the machine from Buzz Lightyear's Dark Man, the adventure begins dark to Malik, that causes you to sink into a never-ending abyss. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. <laughs> I think it'd be preferred. I think everyone would prefer it. <laughs> so, I, at first, I didn't know it had to be an object or... A, uh, oh, it an can activity. Be it, it, okay. it just can't be a grade. It just can't be a grade. I read a, a poem one time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I'm going to give them. Um, I'm Edna's new line of costumes need to be inspired by the Broadway hit musical Spider Man Turn Off the Dark, and so we're nice. gonna get Swiss Miss inspired outfits for Incredibles <laughs> Three. Just say it. I I support this. <laughs> I almost <laughs> said Tom Hardy. Just give him Tom Hardy for Incredibles. <laughs> See what happens. I, I don't care how you use him. Just what if that's the goop that's going on to Mr. Incredible in that scene? It's better. Right? <laughs> then I'm suffocating if you just hear, Eddie, wrong guy. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Alright, um, so... Tyler, thank you for coming on. Um, we loved having you. you. This is by far our longest episode yet, to which I will thank you for and apologize for keeping <laughs> you so long. <laughs> yes, thank uh, you for coming on. Yeah, yeah I'm really excited me. we could do this. Yeah. Um, do you want to remind the viewers, the viewers, the listeners, where they can find you? Uh, yeah. Like your YouTube account or anything? Yeah, you so. can uh, find me on uh, YouTube. Uh, C- it's at CC Farms. Um, used to have a Twitter. I got rid of it because of the Twitter overlord. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's, we still have one. It's for just some reason. It's, <laughs> uh, people are there. We should tell them to leave Twitter and watch our show. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, so yeah, I'm on on YouTube. Um. I'm going to be getting back to it very, very soon. Um, and, you know, I'll be starting up my student teaching, so I'm hoping that I'm going to have a little more time uh, to be able to commit to the YouTube channel. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to wrapping up the current series. Um, it's called Chainsaw Valley. Um, it's a lot more than farming. Um, there are there's mention of Bigfoot, ghosts, um, arson. Is it like the Sasquatch doc? It's, it's not the yeah, Sasquatch doc. No, I'm not a marijuana oh, farmer. Okay. So, That'd um, be exciting. Someone should make that video game. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so yeah, there's yeah, all kinds of stuff. Um, probably wrap it up fairly soon. But yeah, check it out. And thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks Thank for coming you. on again. We loved having you. Like, yes. Really yes. good. Very um, good up. Yeah. Mark. What are we doing next time, Danny? Thanks for asking me. Well, <laughs> as we all know, today is Avatar the Day of Water. Um, <laughs> we have to look back at that, which means it is the week before Christmas, which means next week. It's Christmas, tis the reason for the season. Or, as I like to say this year, tar the reason for the Ava. Um, well, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll be doing a Christmas special that is not about Avatar. <laughs> 
<laughs> but we will be doing a Christmas special. And we will be talking about... Um, well, let's see. I'm going to give Tyler one last little quiz. Tyler, what early CGI animation do you think comes up on this show semi-frequently? Um, Not Pixar. Oh, wait. No, that was Claymation. Nightmare for Christmas was Claymation, right? Yeah, we did an episode yeah. on that. Already. Okay. Um, think more general. Think, think of like more a TV general. show. Think TV show. Or Less show. of a TV show. More just like a part of your being. Yeah. Like you have to, you'd really unless have to look, like, look Unless you're not like, unless you're not like Christian, which I don't think you're that. The way I said that would just sound he so He said that very, yeah. <laughs> not like Christian. My goodness. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to need more hints. I'm, my brain is fine. I'll just tell you. It's uh, VeggieTales. Oh! Covering that's the my VeggieTales stuff. Christmas episode. Because it is very early CGI. It's around where we are. And you know what? We've actually talked about VeggieTales quite a bit in the early days of this episode. And if we're going to do a Christmas episode, we don't want to jump out. We don't want to go out of order on our Pixar journey. We have to stay in order. So jumping back to um, a VeggieTales Christmas episode. Yeah, we can talk about that. The toy that saved Christmas? Celebrate. I think... And we all, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, yeah. we all know, you know, VeggieTales being a piece of Christian media really reminds us the real reason for the holidays, and that is toys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll be talking about, uh, and Toy Story, right? That makes that fits for us too. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about the veggie, the first ever VeggieTales Christmas special. Um, and we'll also just be doing some Christmas games, some Christmas talk. Christmas, 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 why, Christmas. Why was Toy Story 3 not the toys all being gathered up and being sold, either given away in like a uh, Christmas game or being sold at a rummage sale? Why? Well, also, I'm I'll not seeing... Find out if you listen Toy to Story not 1 seen, is a Christmas movie. I've not seen Toy Story 3, so <laughs> I'm also... I remind you, rewriting Toy Story it. 1 ends with, oh wait, a puppy! Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.